Welcome to the Swamp Flicks Podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. I'm Brittany Lombas. I'm Hannah Rassinen. And I'm James Cohn. And we are recording in James and Hannah's apartment in Mid-City, New Orleans. Yeah. This is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swamp Flicks. Oh, that was a guttural one. <laughs> From deep in the bowels of a swamp. <laughs> oh my God. Comes some amateur movie reviews. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is that. another kind of roundup episode of some like recent releases. Last time we all recorded together, we talked about 2021 movies. Mm-hmm. We're going to dial the clock back one year, uh, which doesn't really feel like right. any different than this year. Yeah. <laughs> the distinction is very arbitrary. I yeah. have to keep reminding myself, I'm like, wait, these are 2020 or 2021 right. movies? Yeah. <laughs> What's the difference? Time has collapsed. Yeah. I kind of feel like new releases don't exist right now. Like, I don't feel like people really care about it. Right. No. Like, if you ask kind of the normal average person like what's your favorite new movie that's come out recently they'd be like they're still putting movies out right now <laughs> well to me at work um one of my coworkers was pretty amped for the black widow movie oh yeah that's this weekend yeah okay. uh, fast and furious came out last week so yeah i guess the big stuff's rolling out now yeah i don't think we're talking about any big stuff today i think it's all small weird ass uh, itty movies. bitty movies yeah i just remember one of the movies we're talking about is like over two hours long so it was technically Large, a large movie. That one should have been a hit. I want to get into that because yeah. they should have held out. The one that we're talking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Have y'all had any time to watch anything else in the last couple weeks? Yeah, I've watched a few things um, other than like my trash TV that gives me comfort during the work week. I watched the movie Good on Paper. Um, it's a Netflix movie and it was written by and stars a comedian that I didn't know about until I watched the movie. Eliza Schlesinger. Oh, I know. Is I it know Eliza? Or... I think it's Eliza. Yeah, it's like I L I Z. Yeah, yeah. Um, she plays in it. So does Margaret Cho. In the movie, she's a stand-up comedian, also trying to become a big actress, and she kind of has a meet cute with this guy on a plane that's played by Ryan Hansen, our boy from Veronica Mars. Oh, Dick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's super creepy. He like has like short hair and wears these like big glasses. I don't know. He just has like a weird vibe to him that's so good in this movie. But she kind of meets him on a plane. He he's like, "Hey, you dropped your ticket," and then he just so happens to sit by her. They chat it up, and he finds out she's this comedian, and she's like, "Oh, you should come to my show," and he does. And then they become like really good friends. And she's, like, not romantically into him. Like, it seems like he is to her. And um, she eventually just kind of, like, gives in to having a relationship with him. And then she starts to suspect that he's, like, just lying about everything. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, I graduated from Yale. I work in hedge funds. Like, anytime somebody tells you that, they're lying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a given. And then he's like, oh, and my mom has cancer. And that's why you can never see her. And, like, her and Margaret Cho try to, like, investigate whether or not he's lying. And it's done in, like, a funny way. And um, it's based on one of her, like, real-life experiences. Like, she just kind of, like, over-exaggerated a scenario that happened to her in real life, which I think is really funny. And the movie is also, like, part... Like, there are certain parts of the film where it breaks away from the film and it's her stand-up comedy routine. And it kind of reels back in. But, yeah, I, I liked it. I I'm, don't think it's like a movie to like rave about and it's not like, uh, you know, this is a 
exceptional blah 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 movie that represents blah 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 it was just good um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i think of course like you know when you look at any kind of critique of a movie like that's always it where it's like this didn't do much and i'm like yeah it didn't do much but it was fun netflix makes so much stuff that yeah. like that's kind of the best you could hope for for most of it yeah keep me entertained yeah pleasantly entertaining <laughs> like i said nothing to rave about but it's it's interesting and then I also watched a super shit movie <laughs> called Mother's Day from 2016. I don't know if you remember when that came out. Is this a Gary Marshall joint? Yes. <laughs> so as like as the other Gary Marshall joints, yeah, he's done like I think New Year's Day and Oh yeah. Lab- no, he didn't do Labor Day. Valentine- that was a joke. Sorry. <laughs> oh my god, what is a Labor what There is a movie called Labor Day, but I, that was a oh, joke that he's I know what you're talking with. about. Yeah. I was like, oh, Labor Day, just a bunch of people in labor on Labor Day. But Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day, which I actually kind of liked Valentine's Day for like being a dumb rom-com. So whenever I saw this, it's that same style where it's just like a loaded cast with like a crap ton of subplots that somehow like blend in together in some zany way. And I was kind of looking forward to that because I love that kind of dumb stuff. And it was dumb, but it wasn't that good dumb. It was just horrific. Like, nothing made sense. There was this awful subplot where they tried to make, like, a mother's, like, homophobia and racism quirky and cute. <laughs> it just felt very uncomfortable. And, yeah, like, it. everyone looked like they hated being on set. And I don't know <laughs> if they did, but you know how sometimes you watch a movie and you're like, oh, you hated this, you did right. this, you thought it was going to be something else. Yeah. And then whenever you started filming, you're like, God, this is horrible. Yeah. Why am I here? But I have to like push it out. Julia Roberts is in it and she gives off that energy. <laughs> um, so Julia Roberts is a big name uh, person up in there. Um, Jennifer Aniston, Kate Hudson. It just... I want to say Jennifer Gardner was in it, but I guess she was in she Valentine's, was in Valentine's Day. Day. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wrong day. They seem interchangeable. <laughs> Very. Yeah. What I thought was so funny is uh, Penny Marshall narrates the beginning of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and that's it. Um, yeah, I thought it was crappy. I wouldn't watch it. This is going to sound insulting, but it seems like the kind of movies James has been interested in lately are these like kind of like mainstream uh, rom-com type, like big budget, feel good, schmaltz kind of movies. I mean, maybe not this one in particular. Yeah, but I mean, this one sounds really bad. Yeah. It was bad. <laughs> I feel like the. I mean, these. I remember these types of movies coming out. I guess a couple of years after Love Actually. Like, I feel like Love Actually was a template for this kind of like rom com yeah. holiday yeah. comedy. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, we're just gonna go through every holiday. We're gonna do Valentine's oh Day, New Year's Day, Labor Day. Arbor Day, you know, just like getting them Arbor all out. Day, a hot and heavy Arbor Day rom com. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that because it, it's true. It seems like all these movies are striving to be another Love Actually, and they're right. just failing miserably mm-hmm. at it. But Gary Marshall just is not giving up. Yeah, He's well, like, he this- died, so he eventually gave up. Oh no! <laughs> I am so- oh my god! I didn't realize he was dead. Didn't he do a lot of the big rom coms from the '90s, like? Didn't he do Runaway Bride? And yeah, was he that- did. That was a good one. He did yeah. Runaway Bride. Um, another one with like I think Kate Hudson. I think he did Princess Diaries too. I don't know. He basically he's done some good stuff. He's done good. It wasn't yeah. until the two thousands when he just kind of gave up. And he's yeah. like, how many celebrities can I get <laughs> right. to collect how a paycheck did, at once? Yeah. How did he die? 
Do you know? Was he, he was ill when he made these movies? <laughs> I know. I'm like, I'm wondering if this was like like some end of the life movies yeah. that just kind of, eh, I don't know. I feel bad when I talk about anyone that's dead. But um, I'm going to feel I'm bad sh- if he's yeah. actually alive. Right? It just seems like something. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> he might I should probably well. Google before we'll I just figure it out it. for sure. Yeah. 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 So, you know, so James, have you been watching any fun rom-coms that are better than like Mother's Day? <laughs> no, no, not really. Not really rom-coms. I did watch <laughs> uh, Devil's Wear Prada for the first time. You're not going to Paris. Yeah. yeah. God, what a good movie. I liked it. Especially Meryl Streep in that movie, but I don't know. I, I was a little pissed off that she didn't keep going in the fashion <laughs> world at the end. Like her whole thing is like she loves this job and she's like giving it her all and her friends are telling her, like, Oh, why aren't you going out with us? And you just care about work and she falls in love with fashion and then at the end she decides to get back with the sous chef. Who's an asshole. Who's an a- yeah. Mm-hmm. I just didn't Dig that. I feel like she should have just went full Meryl Streep and, and just like the next, become like, the next, whatever. So the next that, Anna Wintour. Yeah. 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 So that, that disappointed me. But overall, I thought it was fun and the clothes were fabulous. Ugh. The other movie I wanted to mention was I finally watched that movie Nobody. Oh, me too. That was one of the ones I was going to talk about. Oh, really? Well, I had put off watching this because. I'd seen the trailer so many mm-hmm. times. <laughs> yeah. Like there's a period where I was going to the movies where every movie had this trailer and I felt like they just gave away the entire film and I, it wasn't a particularly good trailer either. So it just like kind of soured me on watching it. And I finally rented it the other day and I was pleasantly surprised because, you know, I thought it was going to be this typical, Oh, the suburban dad that hates his life and he gets in touch with like his inner violent self. <laughs> and it kind of is that, but it's so visually clever and the violence is so violent and it's unabashedly basking in violence too. It's like not trying to make any critique about anything. It's just balls to the wall, fun, violent action movie that has some very clever visual humor and I really enjoyed it. I disagree that it, that it's not it doesn't have like a satirical eye though. Like uh, I think it's making fun of that like macho fantasy that like I every know, suburban dad has that like I'm the macho protector of this household and if I just had the chance I would like stand up to home invaders and we kind of see what would happen in real life early in the movie and then the second half goes full on like Liam Neeson and taken like over the top absurdism. And that's when it starts to feel like a Mr. Show sketch version of like John wick. I mean, it's a, it's a fucking joke by the end when there's like all those like home alone traps. I I never got the sense that it was like satirizing it. It felt like it was really saying like, look at how badass this is. dude! Look at these guns and these explosions and these inventive death scenes. The satirical elements like felt like kind of a minor for me, at least, when yeah. I was watching it, I just thought like it was just trying to be a big dumb action movie. I had a hard time reading it, to be honest. Like, yeah, I don't know how to treat Bob Odenkirk anymore. Like, <laughs> when Bob Odenkirk's on the screen, I want to laugh because I just see Mr. Show instantly. Mm-hmm. But I feel like most people know him now through like Breaking Bad or like Fargo or like these more serious roles and like I don't know the Post or something. This was a good bridging. It's kind yeah. of both. It starts off playing it straight, and I think it goes really cartoonish by the end where he gets to be funny. 
it's hard to read the movie until you're like well deep into it. And you're like, okay, I see what the humor is here. I mean, I think the scene where it really clicked for me was that scene at, in on the bus, mm-hmm. where that to me is like maybe one of my favorite scenes of the year so far. Like it is, you know, that kind of like what's the director Edgar Wright, mm-hmm. Simon Pegg, like Shaun of the Dead, like yeah, that style of like really visual humor. That is like a perfect example of that. And there's also like a great montage in the beginning of his kind of day-to-day routine where he wakes up, gets the coffee, goes to work. And you think, okay, they're going to do this like one time through. And they end up doing it like hyper fast and go through like a whole week of this dude's life. And so just like taking those visual gags and like bringing them up to like a whole nother level. I really appreciate it. That's where it started to feel like a joke to me though, because that montage is the exact opening to taking on a train. The, uh, yeah, the commuter, Mm -hmm. um, where Liam Neeson does that exact routine. This does the exact opening of that movie, but then pushes it to like an absurd, Mm -hmm. like extreme. And like even the bus scene, he gets in a fight with all these Russians and you get to see him finally like awaken to his like inner beast and inner protector macho guy. He's like protecting some mm. teenage girl on the bus. Um, and you get to see both the fantasy of that violence and how hard that violence would be on a dad bod from the suburbs. Like <laughs> it, it's both heroic and looks fucking painful. Every hit and every stab in that scene hurts. But I think there was a difference between him and there are these other suburb. So, you know, people break into the house and he doesn't defend his family because he sees their gun isn't loaded. He has these reasons. And then there are all these people that are kind of clueless about like violence and like all these men saying, oh, if it were my house, I would have done this. And like his neighbor has a like kick ass car. Yeah. Gra- but he actually like does like work out every day. I, basically, I saw it as I kind of agree with James. Like he was the real deal like violent macho guy who tried to subdue himself for the suburb- suburban lifestyle. And then he like basically couldn't hack it. I guess what I'm saying is that's how someone would see themselves. Like mm-hmm. they see everyone else as like a phony yeah, that- tough guy, but like I'm a real tough guy. And like, yeah, he, it's like his inner life. Whereas like if the POV was the next door neighbor with the hot rod, then it would be his fantasy version right. of himself. Yeah. And the more, you dig into his actual past and his like special skills that make him like good at this stuff. It's like so absurd and so beyond reality yeah. that it's like a fantasy version yeah. of a, well, I totally believed Bob Odenkirk. <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> I mean, I, I took it. Deal. It is like a fantasy, but I didn't take it as like a satirical. Satire, yeah. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, this is badass shit. I mean, yeah. Uh, one more thing I did want to mention about it when you're talking about the fight scenes and how it really makes it, look like it hurts is one thing I noticed is that it actually shows the contact of the punches and a lot of films, especially American action films tend to like edit that out. Like it usually cuts right before someone's about to be hit. Mm-hmm. And in this film you see the violence all the way through and that makes it so much more impactful. So I don't know. I really dug it. I, again, I wish I wouldn't have watched that trailer. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's it's really good. So anyway, what about you, Hannah? What have you been watching? The best movie that I've seen recently that is not included in the movies we're watching for this podcast um, was Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised, which is 
the Questlove documentary about the Harlem Cultural Festival in 1969. So it was um, this gathering of black artists in Harlem from um, June 29th to August 24th. In 1969, it was this huge music festival. There were hundreds of thousands of people there. Wonderful, famous performers like 19-year-old Stevie Wonder, Mahalia Jackson, Mavis Staples and the Staples Singers, B.B. Uh, King, The Fifth Dimension, uh, Nina Simone. Wow. It was, yeah, it's an inc- it was an incredible festival. And the footage was not re- widely released or not released at all. It kind of sat for 50 years and Questlove's producers kind of mentioned that this footage existed and he was really curious about it. He hadn't heard of, uh, or I think he had kind of heard of the festival, but he hadn't heard that there were so many like influential people in at one time in Harlem. And then they showed him the footage and he was like, this is insane. I, I still don't believe that this happened. So he, um, this is his directorial debut. He got the footage together and then he interviewed some of the people that performed in the festival. He found some of the people that had attended the festival, a lot of like teenagers that were sneaking out of their parents' houses or telling their parents like, Oh, I'm going to my aunt's house or going to my friend's house. And it was just a pretty breathtaking documentary. I mean, you get, there's so much amazing footage of these fantastic singers Um, And it's a really important cultural moment because it was the same summer as Woodstock, which was, uh, you know, obviously, like, everybody knows Woodstock. It was also the summer of the moon landing. Like, the moon landing happened um, on July 24th in 1969. And there were actually people interviewing these festival goers about the moon landing. They're like, oh, what do you think of the moon landing? They're like, I don't give a shit about the moon landing. Like, (laughs) what I'm seeing now is more important to me than like some white people getting on the moon. It's like that Gil Scott Heron poem. Is that right. in there? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Cool. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought of. But yeah, it it is just, I was totally blown away by the power in these performances. Uh, I thought it was very moving. I know James also watched it. We watched it at the I, same time. I mean, there were, I'd say three moments, especially the Mahalia Jackson performance where I'd, like was brought to tears Mm -hmm. like the way she was belting like from the bottom of her soul and you know i think they talk about this in the documentary it's like 400 years of pain just came out through her yeah it just like moved me and there were other performances as well where i was just like so moved Mm -hmm. and it was so powerful i think it's one of those like important movies that i think will definitely be in the running for one of the best movies of the year, yeah, I would say. So y'all should definitely check it Sounds out. Sounds really cool. So mm-hmm. good. I did have a question about it. Uh-huh. Like, the last movie I saw like that was that Aretha Franklin concert. It was like a gospel concert that was just like not published and just kind of mm-hmm. sat in a vault and they restored it, I think like two years ago. Um, and that was just the concert with like no commentary whatsoever. Mm-hmm. This this sounds like it has a lot of like talking heads and like, I mean, other um, clips outside of the there are, there are clips interspersed throughout. I you get to see like whole performances or are they all kind of like interrupted by the talking. No, I think he does a really good job. And why it is so effective is like the way he curates it. Like he picks the right performers, gives them just the right amount of time. So you see the highlights. But then the way it's edited and he brings in like newsreel footage and these interviews 
to really get a sense of like the time yeah. and the culture. Like I like that it didn't mm-hmm. have just a straightforward like here's the concert, which I think what is probably what the Woodstock movie was that Scorsese directed or edited or whatever. I think so. Yeah, it was yeah. just like three hours of just musical performances. I mean, and I, I haven't watched that, but like I don't know how those performances uh, match up to. Oh, the probably not that, as good. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, because I get the sense like Woodstock, they were all drugged out of their minds, and there's probably a lot of sloppy yeah. performances. But like at least in, from the ones he picked in this movie. They're just so so yeah. phenomenal. What the guy that does My Girl? Do you remember? I forget his name, but he's from the original Temptation, right. mm-hmm. and he hits his like high note oh my in God. My Girl that like oh like would shatter the glass, <laughs> and the, it just like blew my mind. I was like, wow, yeah. I didn't know someone could sing that high. Like, there's just moments where you're like, damn, this is like insane. These yeah. people are so talented. So. I liked the interviews too. First of all, because it gave me context for the the festival, and then they also had, like, they had two people from Fifth Dimension come and talk about their experience performing at that festival. You know, and they said, "Oh, you know, everybody thought Fifth Dimension was like a white band. Like, we were making pop music, um, and this was our chance to like perform in Harlem, and we were really, you know." So I and there was also, I think, one of the coolest interviews was from this, just this guy that had attended the festival, and he was really young. I think he was, like, maybe eight or nine. And he was so young that it's like he kind of felt like maybe he had imagined it or something because nobody talked about the festival after. it. Like, it was never widely publicized. So he's watching this footage again, and it's bringing him to tears because he feels like he's he's like i now i know i'm not crazy like this actually happened there were like 300,000 black people in harlem watching these amazing performers so i i felt like it definitely added to the film it'd be cool if hulu released like a physical release with like full footage yeah, like it's like bonus right? discs yeah yeah that would be they yeah they i want it all that. it's making me so greedy just hearing it like i want to like <laughs> yeah, maybe be immersed in it yeah yeah and then the other film <laughs> I saw actually I saw this after baby teeth because I needed just I mean I won't talk about that but um you need to pick me up yeah not even just like something to take me into I love baby teeth but I needed some like pure garbage so I just watched (laughs) I watched coyote ugly oh wow oh my god I haven't seen that since the theater yeah I like I, I think I was like seven when it was released. Yeah. And I thought it was just the coolest movie. They're like all these cool <laughs> hot chicks. I was like, yeah, Coyote. It's not. No, it's, no, it's bad. so bad. <laughs> she yeah. did have the world's oh. coolest dad, though, right? John, John, yeah. Goodman. John Goodman. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't just like, watched it since like it came out yeah. and I was super young and I'm like, cool. Like they had like hair like Christina Aguilera and right. dirty. Yeah. And, they're like, like nasty, like coyotes. Hell no H2O spraying people with water. I'm like, that's fun. Yeah. You're Maxim cool. magazine hotness. Yeah. Very I Maxim. was like, I wanted to be a coyote and, and <laughs> it's like their dancing isn't good. It's just all midriff, <laughs> like swaying to and fro belly button rings. I don't know, actually. I don't oh. think there were any, I don't remember any. Dude, there might've been. Wait, the <laughs> craziest thing about this movie. I'm sorry. But Hannah was watching it. I just sat down, <laughs> and ten seconds later, 
I'm watching it and I'm like, is that Michael Bay? <laughs> so I'm like, was that Michael Bay with that camera? And I was like, there's no way. Why would Michael Bay yeah. cameo in this movie for literally five seconds? <laughs> Looked it up online and sure enough, Weird. Michael Bay makes a cameo in Coyote Ugly and there's all these threads of like, why is Michael Bay yeah. in right. Coyote you Ugly? just couldn't find the mystery. And then as I'm watching, I realized like the way it's edited and the quick cuts, I'm like, mm-hmm. Michael Bay might as well have directed this movie. Right. There's some influence. Okay, now that- you're selling me though. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I never really want to watch Coyote yeah. Ugly well, so, so we were talking about Nobody and how like with the action scenes, you know, the the editing is really effective. You can kind of see everything that's happening. In the final performance scene in Coyote Ugly, it's like there are five cuts every 30 seconds. It's so like disorienting and crazy. That's what I loved about Armageddon the last time I watched it was like, it was actually like so aesthetically overwhelming that I couldn't help but love it. Like there's like a shot of a (laughs) coffee mug falling to the ground and it's shot so lovingly and shot Mm -hmm. with like, as if it was like a spaceship exploding. Yeah. I was like, Michael Bay is actually a great filmmaker who has terrible taste. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I don't know that uh, seeing that style um, applied to like a dumb music video, right. sex erotica God. thing. Sounds really fun to me. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't there like a coyote ugly bar in the front? Oh, the there is. On the I suggested on... that we go there this yeah. weekend. <laughs> the, I was going to say y'all, y'all should go. Yeah. There the see movie if it lives up to the yeah. film. Coyote ugly is based on the bar. Like oh, the I bar, thought the bar was based on the movie. No, the bar came first. How many films are based off of bars? <laughs> like, I was like, <laughs> is that, is that wow, a genre? Wow. Yeah, I feel like I cocktails feel started so as dumb. a TGI Fridays commercial or something. <laughs> <laughs> so at least two. Yeah. Well, um, oh, oh, the other th- sorry, the one other thing. You know that song? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. That song is in three separate. Wow. (laughs) Brandon is like, I need to stop this so I can go home and watch it now. I'm thinking our next episode is Coyote Ugly themed. Bar movies. Bar movies, cocktails, Coyote Ugly. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there's a third one. I I also absolutely hated that her whole, the whole (laughs) conflict of this movie. Is like she's a singer songwriter. Well, yeah, she has like but stage, she has stage fright. fright. Oh. And her oh, no. thing is like, I have stage fright because my mom had stage fright and she couldn't make it's it hereditary. as a singer. Yeah, and it's genetic. <laughs> and then John Goodman at the end, he was like, "Do you know why your mom didn't make it?" She was like, "It's because she she was afraid." And he said, "No, she was great at performing, and she just she got pregnant with you." And then she's like, "Should I it's quit my fault. dreams?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." Go ahead. Yeah. So yeah, you. So you, this whole hereditary stage fright <laughs> thing just, is bunk. And yeah, it, it's just so lame. Like <laughs> oh my God. that's I'm the burlesque only vibe like that. <laughs> I know. Yeah. 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 Definitely. I thought of burlesque too when she brought up the whole like. Also, my mom there is a thing. Leanne Rhymes cameo at the very end, which right. is pretty yeah. badass. I, re- I remember that whole music video so vividly for the song she made for that mm-hmm. movie because it's like back whenever like music videos. For movies, were like yeah, they were like in the movies. Yeah. yeah, oh my god, yeah. Recently, I, I couldn't stop watching that like, what's that Godsmack song for the Scorpion King? Oh yeah, <laughs> with like the Rock kept showing up. I love that. <gasps> I but know yeah. that song. Mm-hmm. It's like 
I stand alone. I I stand alone. And then it's like inside. And it keeps flashing into like the Scorpion King, and it's so good. But yeah, like Coyote Ugly yeah, did that totally. too, mm-hmm. where we just kind of pulled yeah. Leanne Rhymes in the bar with the girls. And I really do love that song, actually. Don't Can't you know? Well, I didn't realize that she was like a songwriter. So when Leanne Rhyme just shows up in the last name, like, where is this coming from? Like, what's the context here? Uh, It's pretty wild. Yeah, Yeah. good on Leanne Rhymes. God, I just feel like I have to do the Real Housewives tie-in because there's a woman on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and her husband cheated on her with Leanne Rhymes. So that's like the last I heard of Leanne Rhymes. What? Would you even be mad though? Brandy Glanville. Uh. And Brandy Glanville started a rumor that Denise Richards mm. had an affair with her. So Denise Richards gets pulled into. Denise Richards mm. is on the show? Yeah, that's she's a am- housewife. That's amazing. She's wow. one of my favorite. She's always like in like jeans and a t-shirt and she's like, what the fuck are we doing? Cool. <laughs> Whatever. Around the time we watched Valentine for the show, I realized like I'm a Denise Richards fan. Please I can name, watch like, The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. that I love Even her in. Do for, wild, like, wild her things, seasons. man. Wild things. She's great. Mm. But yeah. Troopers. There's a, there's a Real Housewives tie-in for everything. I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> I'll always make one. So Brandon, what films have you been watching? Well, I was going to talk about a double feature I did because I watched Nobody. Um, I've been getting movies from the library Mm. and they just kind of come in arbitrarily. So I watched that and then I had some extra energy in me. So I I watched The Columnist on Hoopla. Have y'all seen that one? Mm -mm. It's a Dutch black comedy and it ended up being like a super appropriate double feature because it's also like ordinary people getting revenge like Nobody. Mm -hmm. This Dutch woman is a clickbait article writer for like some like bullshit like USA mm-hmm. Today oh, type wait, thing. Oh wait, I've heard about this movie. Okay. I have, yeah. The uh, Dutch title is actually like this like really misogynistic slur. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the English title is The Columnist. So every time she posts this like really inane clickbait article, like her strongest opinions are about like how people are too combative online or like blackface is bad. Uh, like her opinions aren't that like radical or, mm-hmm. or anything. And the movie kind of makes fun of her for that a little bit because everything she posts, she gets like waves and waves and waves of like sexist comments from anonymous right wing trolls. Mm. And she eventually just snaps and starts murdering them. She like oh sh- shows up at their house Voice. and like reads their like misogynistic tweets back at them and then kills them. Uh, Hell yeah. And the movie kind of celebrates her for it and okay. pokes fun at her for like, kind of having these like wishy-washy like neolib politics like it's kind of making fun of like both sides of mm-hmm. it mm. kind of like that and yeah. like a troll hunter movie <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that was a good alternate title as well yeah i think that one's already taken uh <laughs> oh yes it is so i really appreciated it if not only as like a uh counterpoint to nobody like just like kind of like a fun double bill uh but also like i've just become increasingly detached from engaging with the general public online it kind of started with cuties and kind of ended with bo burnham's inside uh which we talked about recently Mm. where i don't want to talk to people i don't already know yeah and i'm I'm receding more and more every day Mm -hmm. i don't care what anybody thinks about any movie (laughs) i want to know that movies exist and that's why i'm online i'm looking for stuff to watch but if it's not talking to the three of y'all in this room or like Boomer and Allie over Skype, like I've stopped engaging with people online. Yeah. Uh, and it was kind of fun to see a movie about that kind of like 
feeling where if you spend more than like 30 seconds in any comment section, you instantly become a misanthrope. Like I started hating humanity yeah. over like anonymous online comments on things. Um, well, it sounds like a good time capsule of a movie that captures right. a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty broad. Like I think the first scene is like her on like some CNN type show with the headline, um, Twitter, a blessing or a curse. Like it's not very like nuanced, but it's kind of fun and how over the top it is. And like, yeah, like you said, like a very of the moment, like, yeah, it fucking sucks to be on the internet talking to strangers right now. It, it's not a good feeling. It makes me hate people, which I don't think of myself as a hateful person, but yeah. I'm becoming one by being on Twitter. Uh, so uh, it was fun to see someone, you know, act out those aggressions <laughs> and make and get poked fun at for, you know. Engaging with it in the first That's place. That's why it's good that we have so little views. Yeah. Right. Because uh, there was thousands of comments. I, mean, I don't know if we can handle that. It sucks. We'll probably all like lose our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> They'd hunt us down. Gotta say, listenership slightly up recently. Don't know what that's Uh-oh. about. What? Uh, if you're listening for the first time, I have been asking people to send us recommendations <laughs> over Gmail. Have we gotten any? Swampflix at gmail.com. No. <laughs> I've been asking for weeks. Uh, what I have gotten is this one clickbait website. So I, this lady might murder me. Uh, she keeps emailing me, asking me if I've looked at this clickbait article she sent me, uh, asking us to link it in an article on the website. And it's weird because normally I wouldn't click through on that kind of thing. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. I'm probably going to get a virus right, on my computer. Right. Uh, but this woman keeps personally emailing us, asking us to look at this clickbait piece on a fake study about what state <laughs> likes which horror movie the most. And the one for Louisiana is with no year or anything attached to it. Um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. But <laughs> which version? Which one? <laughs> no clue. All of them. Why would we particularly care about that movie other, more than other states? Right. Um, I'm pretty sure it's total bullshit. So there's your recommendation for the week. We got through the, <laughs> we you know, like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde episode. I mean, maybe so I can just link something oh, to this uh, woman. She'll stop like cold emailing me. <laughs> Leave is us alone. A, if is you're there listening. a movie of the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde musical? I don't know. Because there's this song in the musical sung by a sex worker called Bring on the Men, which, Ooh. yeah. And it's all about like, like, let these men come over. I love men. Let's get it on. And I <laughs> used to love that song as a child. So I would definitely watch the Jekyll and Hyde. Ooh, there's a lot of them. Um, um, there's the one with Cassandra Peterson. I think it's like Jekyll and Hyde at it again. That's like the goofy one. I made you watch one. Dr. Heckle and Mr. Hype. Yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. That I was love pretty it. bad. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Who's the main actor in that, though? It's kind of cool to see him. It's Oliver Reed, right? Yeah. 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 It's kind of cool to see him. Oh, I love Oliver Reed. He's yeah. um, Miss, Dr. He's Mr. Hype. Mr. Hype. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Of course, he would be the sex monster. Yeah, I mean, he's come a on. sexy one. Yeah. Also, I think Dr. Jekyll makes an appearance in the Tom Cruise mummy movie, which we... What? Yeah, they were trying to build like the dark universe, like cinematic universe. Oh, wow. And that it totally failed. When I was a little um, cross-dressing pervert, I really liked this movie called uh, <laughs> Dr. Jekyll and Mrs. Hyde, Ooh. which oh. I have since seen um, is terribly regarded uh, among <laughs> the general population. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Maybe we could build an episode around that. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, is Nutty Professor considered a Dr. <laughs> yeah. Jekyll and Mr. Yeah, sure. yeah. It's, yeah. It's, in the, it's an homage. Been wanting to go back and watch some Jerry Lewis f- 
Films. I think Eddie Murphy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh no, no, no! Further back, Clumps, okay. the original. Well, we do have more actual recommendations from real life human beings. I'm pretty sure that woman is a bot. Uh, <laughs> today we are talking about our favorite movies from 2020 that we've seen after we made all our like best of lists last year. This is like catch up season. Mm-hmm. We do this every mid year, I think. This, this is a pretty consistent ritual for us. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and we got a bunch of. Weird ones. Weird old movies. And then we got like a really like heartbreaking one. Oh my one. God. Yeah. <laughs> so Wait, what? Oh, I know which one you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. Hey, Pinocchio. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> but like, for real. Bubble. And all Aww. that's coming up to you right now. My bubble. My bubble. Hey, wait. We got to try it. Try what? Calling the empty man. Who's the empty man? If you're on a bridge and you find a bottle, you blow into it and you think about the empty man. Oh, come on, Mandy, how old are you? Tell him the rest. On the first night, you hear him. And on the second night, you see him. And on the third night? Well, on the third night, he finds you. Okay, let's start All with right. like how much we should talk about The Empty Man. Yes. How far into this plot should yeah. we go? Because the very end is so important to the film that I almost want to discuss it, but it also is a little scene film. I was struggling with that. Same thing with the intro, because this film has a fantastic... Yeah. Love the intro. Intro, which... So, a little background about this movie. It was basically... It's based on a graphic novel... So, you know, this studio, I think, got sold to Fox. This was one of the last pictures they put out. And they gave the director pretty much complete creative control, gave him a very large budget. You can tell on both counts. (laughs) Yeah, for a first-time director. And then it did not screen well with audiences. They put no money behind the marketing like, I think they advertised for, like, one week before the film came out. It was in theaters for a week. Really? And then went nowhere. That explains why, like, I never heard of it. Yeah. And I was very, very surprised when it didn't I, hit my radar. And I think what's so kind of screwed up about that is I watched the trailer, and the way it was marketed was as another, like, you know, they had those Slender Man. Yeah. The Bye Bye Man. Bye Bye Man. The Tall Man? The, the, yeah, the, like, creepy pasta sort of stories mm, the pasta man but yeah <laughs> spaghetti man. so it was Bad like marketed <laughs> as that but what the film is is way stranger it's like a two hour and 20 minute long weird like lovecraftian philosophical mm-hmm. dark ambient sort of movie and so like i just feel like the studio didn't know what to do with it audiences didn't really get what they thought they were going to get. And it just like failed. But when I watched it, I was like, this movie is, I think destined to be a cult classic. Mm -hmm. And the reason I feel that way is the reasons that it didn't succeed is exactly why I like it. And that it's so weird. The plot is like insane and we can definitely get into some particulars, but it's just such an odd film that's way out there and you could tell they're like throwing all these ideas at the wall and it almost feels like it should have been like a Netflix miniseries. Like 
a six episode oh. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love that, that it's not. <laughs> but it's not. It's just like a very long movie, and it does sort of barrel towards its conclusion in the last 20, 30 mm-hmm. minutes. But anyway, yeah. it's a really fascinating picture that like completely failed at the box office. <laughs> Blows my mind. It's like, even though there's so much going on in this movie, and like you were saying, like it's super out there, and like some parts are just kind of whoa, but it's at the end, like the whole thing is such a solid horror movie. Yeah. And it's just such a good example of like just a, a good, genuine horror movie. And yeah, I don't, I don't so, get the criticism. So, I mean, I guess the question is like, how much of the plot, like Brandon said, like how much should we really delve into? Because I do feel like the ending is so great but i also don't want to spoil it for people but i also want to get people excited i personally so it, want to fully discuss the film i will say in the show notes of this show whatever podcast app you're listening to this on there are timestamps. so if you really want to know nothing about the empty mm-hmm. man other than i think we all liked it right yeah. um, you could skip to the next movie by clicking right. on the time if you want to walk in empty. yeah <laughs> I, I think this is a really good movie like you said where you need a disclaimer like part of the fun of it is not knowing what you're getting into right. uh, and just going along for the ride. I so, will, I will say what it does. It acts normal for so long that mm-hmm. you don't expect the yeah. bigger ideas to come. Uh, I've seen a lot of comparisons to Richard Kelly's movies like the box uh-huh. and Southland tales in particular. And I think you're right that it has a lot of ideas the same way that Richard Kelly's movies do. But Richard Kelly does not delay his ideas. He just keeps pummeling you with them. Yeah. Uh, This movie acts normal for as long as it can before its ideas get out of control. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know if you're not impressed in the first hour and you're like, this isn't that weird. It 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 gets way weirder. (laughs) Yeah. It's weird. When I think that's why (laughs) that intro part is so important, which is a good, like 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What a powerful intro. Like the, I was not expecting that. I was like, yeah, holy shit. Like, how do you go from, like, Bhutan to, like, yeah. the United so, States so quickly? So, okay, I guess we'll, like, get a little bit into the plot. So, you know, the film starts with these hikers. They're in Bhutan in mm-hmm. the Himalayas. I think it's, like, 1995 yeah. or something. And, no, they're hiking along, and one of the guys falls into this, like, crevice in the rock, and he ends up in this like chamber and there's this like skeleton almost like it reminded me of like a HR Geiger. Yeah. Yeah. Thing, you know, Multiple and limbs. He, yeah. And he becomes like transfixed by it. And he's like put in this, like this trance and they rescue him, bring him back to the cabin. And then the next day, this creature appears out in the snow and you know, it's the empty man and they, you know, they freak out, and then another day passes, and this other hiker that he's been whispering things in her ear, uh, she just fucking murders everyone, slits this girl's throat, pushes her off the cliff, stabs this other guy, pushes him off the cliff, and then she commits suicide herself. You're getting invested in these characters because you're like, oh, these are the main characters mm-hmm. of the film. And then they all die. And doesn't the film title <laughs> pop up after, after that? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So Whoa. you're like 20 minutes into this movie. You think you know what the story is, who the characters are. And then they all die. And then the actual movie starts. 
which it like blew my mind. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen that long of a prologue drawn out to that degree that like really took me by surprise. So then, you know, then we jump to the present day and there's, you know, we're on in our main story where you have this ex cop named James who is just getting over the death of his wife uh, and his child who died in this like car accident. And the daughter of his neighbor goes missing and he decides to help her out and investigate what happened. And she has written on the wall in her bedroom in blood, you know, the empty man made me do it. So he kind of goes on his own to investigate like what happened to her and starts talking to some of her friends and they say, yeah, you know, the other night she took us over to this bridge and you know, we all blew in this bottle and summoned the empty man. And there's all this like folklore. It's kind of like the candy man or bloody Mary mm-hmm. mirror. But basically you, you go on a bridge, you blow into a bottle and you just think about the empty man. And then it's like the first day, what is it? You hear him. And then I think the second day you see him and the third day, he comes out. So it's kind of like the ring too. There's like yeah, a delayed yeah. like right. dread. Like yeah. a timetable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it reminded me of a lot of different things at that point. And at, at that point in the film, I'm like, okay, like this is going to be a straightforward, like I said, slender man by, by man sort of film. Okay. And then he, he keeps investigating and he goes back to a room and he finds a pamphlet for, uh, what's it called? Is it Pontifex? Yeah. Yeah, Pontifex Academy Institute. So, yeah. mm-hmm. And she's got this like black poster on the wall. and It looks very like Illuminati-esque. Yeah, totally. yeah you get like the symbolism. cult vibes. So, like, okay, so she was into some cult shit and that has something to do with the empty man. And he goes back to the bridge later and he finds all of her friends hanging under the bridge, like all Sick. seemingly yeah. committed suicide. And the only friend that didn't do that gets stabbed to death in her face with scissors in another pretty fucked up scene. But that also looks like a suicide. So, you know, now you're getting vibes like, okay, there's some like nihilistic, suicidal, intrusive sort of thoughts. Are they the empty man? So, you know, at this point in the film, there's all this stuff sort of floating out there. And then once he actually goes to investigate the institute he realizes it is like a doomsday cult that believes in tulpas who it's the idea that like you can manifest reality if you think hard enough about something like you can bring it into this world and so he goes to investigate them their figurehead is steven root steven yeah, root uh, and I, who I, great, love him. I love the scene where he gives a speech yeah. and they they talk about you know, he's this great bit binding of dialogue. Nothing of, the great binding nothingness yeah. of things is yeah, his philosophy. Basically, it is like a nihilistic <laughs> cult where he has this great bit of dialogue where he's like, you know, if you pronounce your name long enough, it becomes gibberish. Now, what's reality? Is it the gibberish or is it your name? And it seems like they're trying to tap into some cosmic darkness, void, and the empty man is a vessel... So, okay, now we we have this. And then the third day, <laughs> he goes 
to their like campground or whatever. And he finds this videotape. It says manifestation, I think 13 and crazy shit happens on the videotape. They summon the empty man. And one guy like smears blood all over the wall and the blood is still there. And, you know, obviously main character freaks out. He sees the cult doing a ritual where they are chanting and the fire from the campground reaches the heavens and the stars like come down to earth and his reality gets all shaky and disorienting. That was my favorite sequence in the movie was the campfire like Mm -hmm. ritual confrontation. It's terrifying. Like I got like full chills whenever like he would you know, step and like crack a couple leaves yeah. and they would like kind step of all, forward. Yeah, they were, like, it sounded like a bunch him. of horses galloping and, and, and yeah, like just this group in unison would take one step. Yeah. And then, you know, oh. that's, it also has my favorite bit of dialogue where he's, he sees that and he's like, yeah, no, <laughs> fuck this. <laughs> when it's perfect, he's like, yeah, fuck nope. that. And he runs. And then this all builds to the climax of the film where we do get answers to what, is going on. And I guess we'll, we can talk about that at the end, but what a buildup is like what I was thinking during this whole thing. Like my expectations were so low and now you're throwing all these concepts and like, there's like all these visual motifs that keep popping up too. And all these crazy philosophical ideas. And then at the end, it all ties in Mm -hmm. in a really kind of great way. I'm sure some people were, kind of like, oh, like that's it, or like disappointed. Because <laughs> apparently, well, apparently it didn't, you know, test well with audiences. It goes big, um, theoretically, I guess. It, it, yeah. It's not like on the screen, but the horror of it is very cosmic. And right. like, it reminded me a lot of um, Suicide Club at the end where the, like, uh, what is your connection to yourself? And oh like, God. all these kind of like heady ideas are like way more horrifying than like the ghoul, which Woo-hoo-hoo. you see yeah. so earlier. It, again, spoiler, it, turns out that this group created a tulpa like our main character james is a tulpa he is a manifestation of their mind that they collectively got together to manifest him to have a vessel for the empty man it, i mean do you have a more <laughs> interpretation anybody like it's a wild ending. He just doesn't exist. Like I love mm-hmm. that cut of um, from the mountains. Like those like very meditative like spaces we are on the early scene to him on his like what we find out is his first birthday in like a chain restaurant. Right. And, like uh, so much of the movie is set in these like um, strip mall type environments. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just for him to be like conjured into existence in this like very mundane fake just uninteresting environment yeah and he's an uninteresting character yeah except he's like he was created to be like guilty and like have every negative emotion to be this perfect vessel for the empty man but why do they i don't know that much about like manifesting things like that <laughs> but like why couldn't they just have made him like just a vessel be like all right cool now the empty man comes and you well, the way they put it was, if I remember correctly, because there's a lot of dialogue mm. explaining this stuff, but like they tried to create something very simple and the simple things weren't working. Like the simple things realized like, oh, I'm fake and like couldn't keep the empty man alive. Yeah. Oh. But by creating this like guilty backstory, right. they gave him like 
basically like a human self-conflicted existence. Yeah. Um, well, and the, the negativity is part of it. Like they needed to have him have like guilt and fear. So like they needed to like make him a fake detective and that was all kill just a bunch to of get people. him to his like end. But how did the his, police like, department not know he was? Or were they in on it? Well, were they part of the whole question too? At the end, is like how much of that was what real? is real? Right. Yeah. But that ties in. They talk constantly about like, oh well, if it's not real, like. Why not just go with Did it? Did he exist before the scene where they have their like AA meeting where they're all blowing in bottles? Like, is that the first time he actually enters the world? Yeah. Or what if uh, they yeah. lie to him to freak him out to then make him the vessel? <laughs> yeah. And he was really a man and all that happened. The best part of this movie is you could yeah. answer any of those questions any way you want. <laughs> I just yeah. Yeah. Like, I <laughs> figure it out. I'm like, that's a lot of work to put into that when you didn't have to. But I guess like if they were trying things out yeah. that didn't work. Well, you know, and it, it reminds me a lot of Twin Peaks, actually. Well, and specifically, like, David Lynch is all about the unified field, mm-hmm. which is exactly... They talk about in this movie where it's... There is this plane of conscious thought where all ideas, all consciousness comes from, even dark ideas. And Tulpa's... Like, you got to pull from that to manifest it into reality... And in this film, they're using our main character as this vessel. He's the bridge. They talk constantly about a bridge. Oh, to God. bridge from like the unconscious to like our biological reality. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But it's just, insanity. But it's isn't a- it kind of silly how they made up this blowing up bottle thing? Like, was that all made up to freak him out? That I seems think, like it's just a meditative weird. process. Like the, that. Yeah. That seemed real to me. Like. To blow in a dirty bottle? Yeah. Like that, or at least it is a way to focus your energy yeah. on the empty man, like to like believe in it enough to like keep so him alive. So do you think that like all the- those kids were real or were that was, I don't know. <laughs> like, okay. I think, the ki- I think the kids were, re- I mean, I think she was, I mean, because that was kind of an infection of the empty man. Right. Right. So that was just her kind of. Doing oh, her. so she was like, "Let me get these friends to blow in the bottle yeah. to summon him, but then we're just gonna kill all of them." Yeah, I or mean, did the empty man really kill them before he I, got into the tulpa? I don't know. We could go into it, for, <laughs> no, but I, I think I'm, it's better to like take a step back. Brittany, I'm, I just to, don't want to be a tulpa, goddamn. Yeah, I think, <laughs> that's the terror, right? Like, I am know, I real? Am I nothing? Yeah. Yeah. No, and it goes into this solipsistic like. If you only know your own thoughts, like, how do you know you're not a tulpa? How am I not mm-hmm. myself? Right. What? No, it's great. It's, <laughs> oh, my God. I know. But as someone that's into that sort of philosophy or whatever, like, that part of the film was fascinating to me. But, like, to pull it back on just, a, I guess, kind of technical level, like, it does. The movie looks really good. Like, apparently this It looks guy, expensive. Apparently mm-hmm. this guy worked for David Fincher. And did a lot of his, like, I guess his, like, behind-the-scenes DVDs, mm-hmm. whatever. Like, he filmed all that. So, cool. like, he's, like, familiar with how David Fincher films stuff. And so, like, it's really slick-looking. And I think it has some really effective scares. Not necessarily jump scares. More, like, Lovecraftian, just a sense of dread. Mm-hmm. And then you have these really heady out there philosophical yeah. ideas that are actually interesting. And I think like the movie is 
not perfect. It's really weird, but I love it. Like, I, I know it has its flaws, but it just like yeah. it did it for me. I mean, it's Especially because I didn't me. see it yeah. coming. So, and for a movie that's over two hours, I feel like the length is actually not one of its flaws. Right. Like, no, it, goes, it should have been longer. Boring, and there's yeah. no like lulls where you're like, God, it's, yeah. it's all. That's what I said about the good. Netflix like limited series mm-hmm. thing. Like, it didn't actually have a lot of time for some of these ideas to breathe. Yeah. Because it was just trying to plow through to tell. I don't know. If the, someone told me, you know. Watch this 18-hour Netflix show. It doesn't get really good until hour 13. <laughs> I never would have watched this right. in my fucking life. So I'm glad That's it's true. at least two and a half hours. No, it yeah. should have been like a six-episode. But uh, either way, it it works as a yeah. film. And I'm I, like, I could watch so many episodes of The Nanny right now instead of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is what I've been wasting my time on. <laughs> so, so did y'all like enjoy it? I mean, I know it's long and it's kind of like got these weird philosophical ideas but it seems like everybody yeah kind of enjoyed it i thought it. it was super special because you know we were talking about like the bloody mary candy man and i mean candy man is great but there's so many movies with some like urban legend central figure and they do have some like narrative importance but it's like this movie just goes in so hard on the philosophy and like the mythology of this creature and what it actually means. It's not like, you know, the bad shit's happening. And then three quarters of the way through the film, like they find this book and like, Oh, the empty man is this thing. And it came from Tibet and whatever, you know, it's, it like is so invested in, in itself. And maybe that has to, to do with it being a, graphic novel originally like it was already kind of like written and and fully formed as a kind of philosophy um but yeah i mean i just haven't really seen a film like this where it's it just feels so so special my favorite thing about it is how unspecial and unweird it feels (laughs) like it is a very generic looking and feeling movie in a lot of ways. It feels like it's from an alternate dimension where like the Bye Bye Man is a great film. Like it looks like a normal studio horror picture. And we're so used to those being these like really slick PG 13 movies with like no real ideas Mm -hmm. that just sort of like end the way you would expect them to. And you forget them like, immediately after i've watched so many annabelle movies that i don't like and i keep watching them because i like creepy (laughs) dolls but they're all bad um and this looks like it would be like a conjuring spinoff or something but somehow it has ideas and like it goes for them and no one's giving it studio notes to pull them back yeah like this to me feels like what major big budget studio horror should look and feel like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, if this was the routine and I usually get that from other countries, like Indian movies or Indonesian films where they're like big budget horror films that are like, feel a little wild and like unpredictable. Mm -hmm. I'm not used to seeing that from American studios anymore. So it feels like a throwback almost. I mean, you could compare this to so many different, like that's why I'm calling it generic. Like, there are parts of that remind me of The Descent. Or right, we mentioned, yeah. Like, uh, mm-hmm. The Ring or like yeah. The Bye Bye Man, like all kinds of stuff. But it feels like a throwback to the 70s when you could have stuff like The Exorcist or The Shining that is like throwing big money and big ideas at the screen mm-hmm. for general audiences and 
they were very divisive in their time, but over the decades they've become classics. And I think you're right in that, you know, in 10, 15 years, you know, Southland Tales just had this big victory lap recently. I'm still waiting for the box to have it because it's a much better film than Southland Tales. But like it had this like victory lap where it's like can cut. Um, that's like an extended feature version of the film. Like that had these like accolades and all these like special screenings with Richard Kelly in attendance, like doing Q and A's and stuff. Like I feel like the empty man is destined to have that yeah. in 10 yeah. years. So I, I don't want to downplay the fact that this is like a special example and like it is a weird film with like big ideas. But what I love about it is how generic it feels right. the whole well, time. I think it yeah. like subverts expectations. Totally. Yeah. Like with the trailer and with the first, besides the prologue, the first like half hour, 40 minutes, you're like, okay, we're in a generic big budget horror film. And then as you're going along through this plot, it just like, completely subverts all expectations. You know, I think that's part of why I really yeah. cared for it. Like A24 could have made this and it would have been like so slow and it like have been the soft focus. Right, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's like the melding of that like big budget action horror and like big ideas. We were talking about that when it came out a few years ago, how like that was, I think James specifically said this, like that was a breath of fresh air to like feel a big budget like horror like mainstream studio film like mm-hmm. actually like felt fresh and like mm-hmm. the efficiency of that movie felt good um this is way better than the it movie <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. it's doing that thing where like these things are so generic like there's that summer camp setting there's the found footage tape there's the cult there's mm-hmm. like the slender man rip off like right. ghoul character all of those things individually are pretty generic and like familiar mm-hmm. but it pulls it off and is allowed to like go off the rails in a way that's like actually messy and interesting yeah and you know what they have that you know that part of his monologue is like cliches and gibberish and how you repeat it and repeat it and it doesn't mean anything yeah. but then you're drawing it closer into yourself and it actually is um like the um nietzsche's phrase about the abyss um, is repeated so often in this cliche, but by bringing it into the modern like lexicon and bringing it so close to us, like it actually does have hold over us. And the, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like there are all of these things that are repeated constantly in horror films, and then it's like it creates this new yeah it makes them feel fresh again yeah exactly steven root really chews up <laughs> that monologue. He loves that dialogue. Oh. He's having oh, so yeah. much fun. Yeah, I do love that. Um, we did a like spoilery like oh you know you might not want to know what happens in this movie but we yeah. also couldn't come to a clear solid explanation yeah. of what actually <laughs> what, happened what happens? so maybe this didn't spoil anybody or anything. <laughs> I think we needed to talk it out. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> or I needed to talk it out and listen I, to I other people. Love, help me. This almost feels like it does deserve a sequel, but I, I think what another thing I liked about it so much was I love these first time directors where they. Just throw every idea they. It's like I don't know if I'm ever gonna make another movie again. So I'm gonna like do yeah. everything. Like, okay, you give me this budget and two and two hours and twenty minutes of runtime. I'm gonna like, like you said, throw every kind of genre I want to do in a film. And in this case, it like works in the film's favor. But the exceptional detail about that is that it's not aggressively pointing out how over the top it is like it's really taking a patient tract with that 
you really expect it to pummel you with these ideas and it really like takes its time to allow them to like come to the surface. And like, it isn't until the last two to five minutes where the whole thing really pays off. Mm -hmm. And like all the things that you thought were generic in retrospect become these like deep seated, well planned out ideas. I don't know. Yeah. The fact that you have a generic cop who's like looking into this like death cult Right. Um, who doesn't really have much of a personality, that becomes by design by the right. end, which is mm-hmm. wild. <laughs> I'm from San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah, it's like <laughs> the one detail he knows about himself. Right. He keeps repeating that. I'm from San Francisco. I know about cults. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. I want more people to see it. I do think it's going to gain hmm. a cult following. We're spreading the virus. I think it's going to be like, um, when I was like kind of searching how to like watch it, it looks like it was going to be um, hitting like HBO. Um, oh. Later this month, so oh, hopefully that'll good. help. Yeah, it will I think yeah. HB go watch it. <laughs> <laughs> so you have been robbed. Yes. Having been robbed, you are innocent. Put them in prison. How oh, come in prison? But I'm innocent. The innocent go to prison. But why? this country, the innocent go to prison. But why prison? Uh, the innocent go to prison. I oh. also have something to say. I'm guilty too. Wait, wait, wait. What did you say? I'm guilty too. Come back. Come back. I too am a thief. So we were hemming and hawing a little bit about like how much empty man plot to do. The next movie on the list is Pinocchio, which is my pick. <laughs> I don't think we need to do much of a plot synopsis on that one. Oh, man. Uh, I want to talk about the movie, though. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a pretty direct adaptation of the Pinocchio story you know and love Mm -hmm. uh, by Matteo Garone, who is an Italian director, and he did Tale of Tales a few years ago. We both love that movie. I fucking love that movie. Yeah. Is that the one with Salma Hayek? Yes. Oh, man. I still still have not seen that movie. But that's what I thought. I I was thinking of the flea. It's such a similar style. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's probably the best modern, like, fairy tale adaptation since The Fall. Um, As far as just, like, getting what actual dark fairy Mm -hmm. tales are like. I would say he's actually topped himself with Pinocchio. (laughs) I think this movie's even better than Tale of Tales, which I loved when I saw it. Pinocchio came out in uh, December of last year. It played only in theaters for a while. And then it had an Oscars run for like best makeup effects, which it did not even register most people's radar. Mm-hmm. And I think most of the reaction to it, if you looked at what happened when it came online, was like, oh my God, Roberto Benigni is in another Pinocchio movie. <laughs> Didn't he embarrass himself enough last time <laughs> that uh, he would know to stay away from this? And I think it's actually become kind of an in-joke where like Italian filmmakers make fun of themselves and each other for doing Pinocchio adaptations. Like it's mm-hmm. been done so many times yeah. that like, it's kind of pointless to keep returning to the story. Um, and even right now there's like Disney and Guillermo del Toro both have Pinocchio adaptations coming in the works right now. So like too much Pinocchio all the time. What is the point <laughs> of doing this ever again, especially with Roberto Benini, who is the most embarrassing Pinocchio ever in existence of cinema. I got to say just up front, Whatever defective gene that human beings have that find, like, Roberto Benigni funny, I have that. <laughs> I find him fucking hilarious. Um, and in this film, he plays Geppetto, and I think he is so funny. He does, like, 
a classic like vaudeville slapstick Geppetto in this film. Especially in that that opening part um, <laughs> where he's like, oh, hey, all your shit's broken. Ah, yeah, your table. He goes to like a local, I want to call it a restaurant, but it's really it's like, like, like an, an, inn. Yeah, an inn. Yeah, And he um, keeps telling them that, that their tables and uh, doors and like furniture <laughs> are all Anything broken. Anything made of wood is it, fucked It could up. collapse at any moment. Fucking broke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Someone pay this man. So uh, he could scam his way into like some like really measly soup. Like the, yeah. uh, and they give it to him just to shut him up. Shut right? him the you fuck can up. have this food if you don't fucking go out. Because Roberto Benigni is mildly annoying. And that's what's <laughs> funny about him is like he gets on your nerves and you really just want him to stop talking. But it's like, I don't know. I don't want him to. And I think it's I charming. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's so sweet. I think the opening of um, Life is Beautiful is him like as a waiter uh, in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the oh, same kind of comedy. I, I mean, I was also thinking about him at the Oscars when... Walking across the walking seats. Across, it, it's like kind of annoying, but okay, it's sort of endearing too. Well, here he uh, is a very lonely, very poor, starving man um, who kind of talks his way into acquiring some magic wood. And he sculpts himself a... Living son out of it, uh, a puppet <laughs> named Pinocchio, who calls him Babbo as his first word once he emerges into existence. Babbo. Babbo. But what's different about this versus like the Disney version of the story is like the darkness of it is not scaled back in any mm-hmm. way. I think even the Disney cartoon is darker than most of their stuff, but mm-hmm. like this live action version is so matter of fact and so absurd without really commenting on the absurdity of it. And I was just kind of annoyed. Looking at the instant, like, online reaction to this movie as, like, a joke versus what I actually saw when I watched it was, like, it's so fucking perfect. It's a cinematic masterpiece. (laughs) I fucking agree. (laughs) Like, I was fucking blown away. Every practical effect in this film, all of the, like, makeup and Mm -hmm. stuff, there's a little bit of green screen and, like, say when Pinocchio falls asleep in front of a fire and his legs burn off, Uh they do a little green screening to remove his legs. Yeah. For the most part, it's all practical makeup. Oh, I know. And it makes it so much more horrific that, like, this, like, trout with a human face or, like, uh, these other living puppets. Even the grasshopper. Or these, like, donkey boys on the the islands of, like, uh, rowdy boys. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. are all practical, grotesque makeup effects. The movie is just so normal in its tone. It's so, like, wide audience, Oscar-worthy, like, prestige filmmaking. And very, like, what you would expect from, like, run-of-the-mill European, like, intellectual bullshit. Like, even down to the score, it's, like, very soft violins and stuff. Mm -hmm. But what you're watching is so grotesque and so upsetting (laughs) and... Pinocchio is this little hedonist who doesn't want to do his homework and doesn't want to go home to his papa, his, his babo, uh, <laughs> and he just wants to go off and have fun. And, um, you know, his, like, cricket friend and his fairy friend and all his other friends keep telling him to stop fucking up, and he won't <laughs> stop doing it. And it's so frustrating. Here's my question. How skeptical were you of this movie, just hearing about it, and how long did it take you to realize that it is a five-star masterpiece with no faults? <laughs> And I'm done. <laughs> All right. So my reaction to this film was like, I think I went through like so many stages with this. At first I was like, oh, wow. Like, okay. This is fun. Like Berto Benini, he's funny. And and then the tone shifts like, oh my God, this is like horror. Dark yeah. and horrific. Yeah, and Pinocchio like, is hanging from a tree. Yeah. yeah it's like, yeah. But then I do think for me, it got to a point where I was just like, I want out, dude. 
I really, I want out really? of this. I didn't want to leave. <laughs> what? No, I don't want to be in this world anymore for what? Like two hours. Oh, wow. And Roberto Benini, like, I love him. I agree with you, but he's what? In the first 20 minutes and the last 30 minutes, there's a huge, most of the movie, he's nowhere around. So I agree. I love Roberto Benini, but he's not like the star of the show. I agree. Yeah. The star of the show is Pinocchio and his adventures. And, and that kid is adorable. <laughs> he's an adorable little hedonist. You think he's adorable? Yeah, and horrifying. He's yeah, both. he's horrifying. He's <laughs> little outfit made from his Bobo's oh, bed yeah, sheets. blanket. <laughs> the little hat. Yeah, I think it got to a point where I was just like, I want off this ride, which maybe is, to your point, the horrific nature of the story. Do you know that scene in Pinocchio, the 2020 film starring Roberto Benigni, where like <laughs> Pinocchio is staring at the stage of the other puppets who are like actual puppets with strings and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you can see on Pinocchio's face that like wide eyed wonder where he's just like slack jawed and like, what am I looking at? I was like that the entire time I watched this. <laughs> I was just like, what is this? And then they look and say, Brandon, look at that Brandon in the audience. He's a puppet too. I mean, I'm on the stage. I'm not like... I don't disagree with you, to, but <laughs> I I didn't come out of that experience like that was a masterpiece. I yeah. was like, man, that was kind of exhausting. What oh. the fuck is that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. But I, I think we're like, we had similar experiences, just a different take Yeah. Yeah. at the end. I, I loved it. So, okay, my expectations were very low because I didn't know much about this Pinocchio adaptation and I kind of thought it was a Disney adaptation. That's coming soon. Uh, yeah. So, and I was not, but I really loved the Disney Pinocchio when I was a kid because it was so weird. Like the the island of it's like called the island of pleasure or something in the in the um, animated version where they're like they they all turn into donkeys and that was like mind blowing to me as a child and like so freaky and weird and and cool and so. I loved all those like freaky things about Pinocchio. And then this is the unadulterated, like pretty much like step for step adaptation of the actual Pinocchio stories that, that Pinocchio is, is based on. And it's like, so like so much weird, like they have the weird, like monkey, the monkey judge. And then like innocent people go to jail. Right. <laughs> Pinocchio has to confess to crimes. Oh, no, I, I've done so many things. Oh, perfect. You're free to go. And then like, even that scene where he's, he he doesn't want to take the medicine. The blue fairy's like, "All right, well they're you know they're gonna come in with a coffin," and and they're like, "Are then Pinocchio was like, no, I want to live." And they're arguing about whether they can have the coffin. They had to put something. Yeah, like we gotta put something in the coffin. <laughs> um, and I I like kind of the straight faced attitude of the movie, like all the and it, like basically taking the absurdity at face value. Like this is the crazy fucked up world that we live in in Pinocchio and and that's what it is and even the the key like the underlying story of Pinocchio is this like child morality tale like you gotta um do your homework yeah like be a good citizen basically (laughs) it's like so different from all these other Disney type fairy tales and uh, I don't know it's just this lives in like a special little world of being fucking crazy that was my like thought too as I was watching it was like why did Disney way back when even picked this as like when this like their second it was or their third second yeah animated feature of all time like why this is the most bizarre 
story. I think they used to have a joy in animating this kind of stuff. Like their classics, like Sleeping Beauty and things like that. Like they really were into the artistry of creating these like fantastic worlds on the screen. And then that's what they've lost. Like they've become the like standard bearer of mainstream filmmaking to the point where they like don't want to take any risks and doing this story at that time in the thirties or whenever they came out, like Mm -hmm. huge risk, fucking weird adaptation Mm -hmm. and very intricately drawn and very beautifully realized. I don't want to say that, you know, they held back. It's just like, I feel like this movie revels in the darkness and the weirdness yeah. um, while still trying to pass itself off as something normal and okay. Like I, I expect that there were like older people who go to see every like sort of European like Oscar contender mm-hmm. in the theater who like didn't know what they were walking into. I mean, maybe it was just like the episodic nature of the story that mm-hmm. didn't connect with me. Cause you know, I've seen enough Pinocchio movies to know how it ends. So you know, you're just watching there and you're like, wow, this is horrific and scary and so dark. But it's just like one episode after another leading to an ending I knew was coming. So I couldn't really get like fully invested in it apart from just like just sort of galling at it, like how crazy it was. I was kind of like surprised at because in the Disney movie he becomes a real boy because of the fairy and this he's, or not a real boy, but um, doesn't he come to life because of the fairy? And like in this movie is just magic wood and that didn't exist. <laughs> yeah. The Disney, yeah. The magic wood was not, which a part I thought of the was like super cool. And then yeah. also like his nose only grew like for one scene. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then when he was lying to like the monkey judge, his nose didn't grow. And I'm like, huh. Weird. That bothered me. <laughs> I was really waiting. And he, Why? Well, <laughs> We've yeah. established that his nose grows. No, she when was he pranking lies. him that one time. It was like uh, oh, in when... the other scene where the snail reads faster because the, oh, the fairy's snail. just kind of fucking around and entertaining Pinocchio. Yeah. It's not an overarching like magic oh. that lasts the whole movie. The fairy's kind of teaching him in the moment. That's what like, Disney lessons. fed us. Right. Yeah, the yeah. Disney version, know, his nose grows the whole if time. If anything, yeah. like the Disney version was more of like a cautionary tale or it's like if you lie, your nose grows or this is like, Oh, it ha like you said, like it happened for one scene, but it does like, you know, Hey, if you're bad and don't listen, yeah. a bunch of crap's going to happen. Yeah. I think you drop out of school. You turn pathos of this overall is like, we, or at least I, I should speak personally. <laughs> I love Pinocchio and I want him to do well, <laughs> but I also am delighted when he fucks up on purpose <laughs> for his own pleasure. And if you look at the fairy, and his father in particular, Geppetto. Um, the fairy and Geppetto are watching him fuck up in the same way, and they love him anyway. Mm-hmm. They're like, you keep breaking my goddamn heart. And like that scene where the fairy has to revive him as a donkey, um, she's like so sad watching him in the theater, like debase yeah, himself for this like circus act. Like that actually had genuine pathos to me, where I'm like, okay, this movie has an emotional core, and it's the same when I'm engaging and where I'm like, yeah. I find this child adorable. I also recognize in myself this, you know, pleasure in misbehaving. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that it is bad for him in the long term and he needs to develop as a human being or he's just going to be a child forever. And I don't know. I thought that worked. Like, even if you know, like, the 
like you were saying, the episodic nature, like it, it is just things happening one at yeah. a time. Yes. Um, there is a genuine core there where it's like, you really want him to develop and grow up at some point and become a real person. Yeah. Um, and he delays that as long as he can. And it's very frustrating. Yeah. And I like that, you know, episodic nature, I think it's also just because of the format that it's based on. Right. Because it was like a serial work originally. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that, and I, and I do like that, it's like in the Disney version, the nose lying. It's like that that does have like a stronger backbone of like if you lie, you're a bad person, and everybody's gonna it's see. So but visual, yeah. And this, it's like like she's kind of teaching him a lesson one time, but it's like more open to the fact that people are going to make mistakes mm-hmm. constantly. Uh, it's just that eventually you have to figure out what the fuck you're doing. That's one of many lessons. And then like also <laughs> like with that. I like how this kind of showed, like, how no matter how much you fuck up, there's, like, unconditional mm-hmm. love for, like, those who care about you. Like, the fairy and his dad. I thought that was kind of sweet. Yeah. I don't know. I did a lot of Oscars catching up earlier this year. Just, like, stuff that was nominated. And this was the one that really bowled me over. And it was for some, like, minor technical category. And I feel like it will be forgotten <laughs> as yeah. the, like, uh, months roll on after this. And, you know. It's so sad because, like, I fucking loved this movie. Like, I loved everything about it. Like, the whole, like, the landscape being in, like, Tuscany, like, in the countryside of, like, Italy. But, like, also this, like, bizarre magical realm develops, like, without without it seem, seeming odd. Like, you know, everything in the beginning seems normal. And then, you know, Pinocchio immediately becomes a thing. No one really questions it. And then before you know it, the there's, you know, the cat and the fox. And you're like, okay, do they have whiskers? And then, like, <laughs> there's, like, the the snail and then, like, the fairy and the cricket that just magically appears. And I'm like, okay. Like, it's not, like, some, like, there's no, like, big, like, orb and music going, oh, when it all happens. It makes it just seem so normal in this, like, landscape. And it just seems so natural. And I feel like I was, like, riding this roller coaster, like, the more the movie went on and the more, like, fun people, like, popped out. I was like, ooh, what's next? Uh, uh, and it just kept, like, building and building and building. And it didn't, like, ever fall. It was really cool. Well, the next weird-ass movie that we missed last year <laughs> down the line was Hannah's pick oh, for the show. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Okay. I, will, I have to preface. I, I wouldn't say this is necessarily my one of my favorite movies from 2020, but it is... It was a movie that kind of just stuck in, it lodged itself in my brain. So it's called Ham on Rye. It is directed by um, Tyler Taramina, T-A-O-R-M-I-N-A. It's a pretty short, it's like an, I think it's like an hour and a half. Basically, it's about this small town. Um, These teens are getting ready to go to this kind of like prom-like coming of age uh, ceremony party at this diner called Monty's. So the <laughs> film starts out and all of the teens are kind of like, it's they're like satellited around Monty's. They're all like driving or riding their razor scooters or just walking to this party. They're getting ready in the beginning, putting on like odd assembly of like suits and dresses. All very ill-fitting clothes. Yeah, very ill-fitting. Well, isn't it their grandparents' clothes or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. I think it's something like that. Something funky like that. Um, the main character of this movie is Haley, and she's really the only person that is, like, kind of skeptical of this 
ritual or like party or whatever is going on. You don't know what's what's happening, but she's kind of like gauging her other friends um, feelings about it. Like, oh, I don't know. It seems kind of weird. I don't know if I'm into it. And everybody else is just totally on board and like very excited to do this thing. It seems like a prom situation. Like parents are taking their pictures. People have corsages. And then um, so they all get to the the first third of the movie is them traveling to Monty's. Everybody gets to Monty's. They order various sandwiches. The sandwiches are shot, and it's like they it's, don't look good. Yeah, it's really strange. It's almost like they're breathing. Like they, someone just put the sandwich down, so it's like moving Relaxing. a little bit. It's so disturbing. Um, and the uh. teens are like, kind of trying to make small talk. There, everybody is like so fucking awkward. <laughs> and then at at some point, everybody gathers in a circle. One person at a time will go to the center of the circle and like point finger guns at somebody that person will give them a thumbs up or thumbs down (laughs) if it's a thumbs up they like pair off if it's a thumbs down that they just try everybody they can until they get get hooked up with somebody everybody who's dejected has to leave the diner everybody else like goes downstairs there's a lot of like weird dancing and then they're like transported into this beam of sunset light basically And then the last third of the movie is kind of like the dregs of the people that left the diner or were dejected by everybody and these like residents of the town that obviously didn't make it in their version of this like 18 year old ritual. And they're like, it's just a really sad kind of like rambling through this um, deserted small town with like. There's this place called Tans to go. There's this really depressing party of all these people that, I mean, they don't have anything in common except for that they're kind of stuck. We have to assume that their parents and their grandparents and all the surviving generations that had kids were also left behind by this ritual. Right. So, yeah, it's the, (laughs) that's, that's the movie. The aesthetic is like, it's like these hyper saturated, hyper stylized, clothing but but it's like hyper saturated but then it's like there's a haze of gauze over everything it's very Mm -hmm. dreamy um the dialogue is really stilted it reminded me a lot of greener grass yeah but like i i think it just didn't push like the absurdity and the i mean it was an absurd movie but i i feel like greener grass was like very self-aware and kind of that or like tim and eric sketches right it's it's humor in awkwardness yeah but yeah, it's not quite as extreme as either of those examples. Right. Yeah, this movie is more earnest in its, or like sincere in its awkwardness. Eventually. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like early yeah. on, there's like a lot of humor in the fact that like everyone's suits and dresses don't fit, but like in like a million different ways. Right. Like some of them <laughs> yeah. are like really loose and some of them are really tight. Right. <laughs> like everyone is just like awkward in like a very different slight way. Right. Um, and it feels like teenage awkwardness. Um, I, I want to call it like a freaks and geeks kind of yeah, situation, totally. but it's more like dreamlike and surreal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Such an awkward fucking film. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I think the first time I watched it, all of the reviews that I read beforehand compared it to Lynch. It was like, oh, Lynch. and I just feel like everybody makes that comparison. If it's like a kind of weird film about suburbia. And I think I didn't really connect with me until everybody starts dancing in the diner and all of the kids just have this very honest 
awkwardness like there's this really small boy that's just like throwing his elbows up <laughs> and it's it's just like the kind of thing that you i feel like you can't really fake it and it did tap into something that that reminded me of being an 18 year old yeah even the kids who are like ascended and like basically succeed at this ritual yeah I feel like in a heavy-handed version of this movie, like the popular pretty kids with like the symmetrical faces and like right. the actual cool dance moves, would be the one who moves on, and all the awkward losers would stay yeah, behind. Like, beep, beep. But here it feels very arbitrary because everyone is an awkward loser, <laughs> right. and some of them get to go on to this like it feels like this like next plane of existence, right? Uh, and the ones who are left behind are like just as awkward as the ones who left, but you know, yeah. Just weren't chosen. So, yeah. like, for the the chosen ones, are those the ones that get to go to college, kind of? Was it what I, I was don't know. Up on? See, that's what I thought the first time I watched it. But then the second time, it's like when Haley... So, Haley leaves the diner. She doesn't get to go. And, and then she's, like, calling her friends constantly and, like, trying to get in touch with her. But at dinner, um, her huh. dad is, like... Uh, I guess it's It's, like, everybody knows that she hasn't moved on. And it's kind of, like it's weighing on everybody and he's like oh let's call like david at college so that made me yeah oh that was yeah that was also very painful so that made me think maybe it's like i if i were the father of somebody that didn't get to ascend to this place i probably wouldn't call like the brother that did get to his to rub it on your face yeah so i feel like it's something else, but I don't, Maybe. they never make it clear. It is a feeling of like being left behind. Yeah. yeah like, I, I mean, it's like a general anxiety. I think you have when you're that age of like, Oh, I'm not going to get a girlfriend. Right. I'm not going to like be successful. I'm never mm-hmm. going to leave this fucking town. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a general anxiety right. that the film captures. And especially um like all of this anxiety that is kind of centered around of like one moment in your teen be, like people obsessing about getting yeah. a date to prom. It's like prom. That's, yeah, exactly. That's what it really reminded me of is how every as, how like parents push it too cuz I kind of like the parents that are kind of like taking pictures right. and making this big thing out of something that doesn't seem that big right. is very like prom where it's like, Oh my God, prom is it. Right. You don't go to prom. Yeah. Which I did and I survived. I didn't go either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Either, man. Yeah. Look at us. Um, but we you have know, a podcast. Oh shit. No- <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. Brittany. Well, I did go to prom wow. and I'm here. So. Well, I've been like, look oh, at us. Man. We're all successful. Yeah, we survived. Yeah, I yeah. guess so. <laughs> We're su- yeah. Wow. We are the ones who did not make it at uh, this <laughs> no, jelly. Like, well, it's just like, I don't know. Were those dregs of... Uh, I don't know. It was funny seeing that... Um, there was a chick from, I think, All That. Yeah. Lori Beth also, Denberg. Yeah. I freaked out. And I was, she was like Pete smoking that piece too. Danny Temporelli. Yeah. Yeah. But like, it was funny that like these ex-Nickelodeon right, stars totally. were at the end. Like... I've always compared to uh, like Keenan Thompson, who has like been on SNL for the past like 20 years and made it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. But yeah, it it definitely feels like, um, you know, it's a nostalgia trip for sure. But it's like the nostalgia you've left behind, like the people, like you said, that didn't make it Mm -hmm. to the big time. And yeah. Now that Nickelodeon stars are in this weird fucking That's probably movie why they were cast in it. Yeah, I never no, thought totally. of that. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I thought it's it was part strange. Of the vibe. And I'm like, are they friends? And are they like friends with like the director? And they all just ended up being in this. But no, that's a good point. I never thought of it that way. 
Yeah. Yeah, because they haven't been, had really any. The Nickelodeon castaways. Yeah. Shit. It's kind of sad. It's yeah. funny to hear that Lynch comparison because what I actually thought about was um, Yorgos Lanthimos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like um, how he can, and I'm not a huge fan of him the way that, like <laughs> other people are. Oh but, my like, God, I love him. He can look at a normal, everyday, like, social ritual and be like, how fucking weird is it that right. we do this? Totally. Um, and that's what this feels like. It's like that Lanthimos version of, like, prom. Yeah. That, like, all of yeah. your, like, romantic <laughs> success and, like, your professional success is hinged on this, like, one night in high school. Right. Um, and how fucking weird and, like, yeah. sad is that? And the way this movie does that is it, it doesn't even go to the like event hall where prom would be. It's like the pre-prom yeah. dinner, which is an even weirder ritual. <laughs> like it does a good job of like alienating something that should be like very familiar and like normal to people. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm a lot of what I read. Yeah. They talked about Lynch and like as someone that's a huge David Lynch fan, like very few films actually can capture yeah. whatever it is that he does that makes his films so strange. I don't know if this one is technically Lynchian. Yeah, I, I don't think I, I never thought of him once. Traditional right. I would not describe him I mean, as I, I think it's just the banal with the grotesque. Right. And like the sandwich stuff, like just showing a sandwich, you know, falling apart. The saddest. I thought Tim and Eric when I saw the sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> the, I remember specifically this like hoagie sandwich that had this nasty sloppy line of mayo yeah. on it Ugh. that just remained open. But it's interesting to think about like Obviously, greener grass is not Lynchian in any way. That's like straight Tim and Eric. This is like some weird middle ground, a little Lynchian, but more Lanthimos, yeah. like you said. So there's like layers and like, I, I like the different like weird, awkward films tap into uh, the yeah. different levels of awkwardness right. that there are. The thing that really appealed to me authentically and... I think one problem I have with kind of comedies like Greener Grass and and this is that there is like some irony that's shielding you from the movie. But so there are three people that don't make it into the ritual in this round. So there's um, one guy who like he has like a panic attack beforehand. So his friends leave him um, and he like goes to the hospital. There's one guy that just no girl wants him and he like has to leave. Because he's a bully. Yeah, because he's right. He's he's like um, spreading rumors about one of the girl, and everybody hates him. He gets him. appropriately punched in the nose, and everyone <laughs> celebrates. Like, That's my favorite yeah. character. Yeah, yeah. And then Haley is just kind of like, "This isn't my bag." I have a question about Haley. Yeah, I need to watch the movie again. Maybe you would remember this detail because you've seen it more than once. Is she romantically eyeing another woman in the early oh. stretch of the film? I don't know. When they're like skateboarding or scooting in the early scene. I feel like I found it very like notable yeah. that all of the pairings in Are that like... Up, heterosexual. They're all yeah. heterosexual. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's an early scene before you really know what's going on where she's like looking at another blonde girl on like a scooter as they're going down the street. That's why she like bails. The girl with the poofy skirt that was like neon, I think. Mm -hmm. And I thought eventually that girl would show back up and there'd be like some kind of lesbian pairing in the film, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't really happen. And I don't don't know. Mm. But it it does seem like there's like a misfit like thing about her. She doesn't, doesn't quite share her friend's like enthusiasm for this ritual. Yeah, and they totally don't understand her right. trepidation at all. She like brings it up kind of um, in an offhanded way, and her friend is like, 
to, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> but I, I just feel like it's so easy to feel like my, like the trajectory of my life can be decided by not necessarily like a moment in prom, but some decision I made in this very crucial point in your life where you're deciding like, do I go to college? Do I go get a job? Do I do something else? And like, just people go off track off of the, you know, socially acceptable track for so many reasons. Mm -hmm. And that feeling of loss Mm -hmm. of like, maybe this isn't the best version of like, maybe I just totally fucked it up and I had one day to, to make the right decision. And I I still struggle with that anxiety right now. (laughs) There's like a timeless quality to that, that watching the film again, I feel like it taps into the timeless thing because I kept noticing, like, I didn't actually know what time period we were in. Like, sometimes the kids were dressed like it was from the 70s, but then I noticed, like... the cars were older, too. They were older, but... You could see new ones in the back. But then definitely some of it was aesthetically the 90s. Yeah. And then some of the haircuts were, like, straight out of the 80s. And they go to the ATM. Feels very now. Yeah. Monty's looks very Monty's looks, like, maybe from the 50s. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just, like... Capturing this timeless awkwardness. It felt like another realm. Like, yeah. I'm like, are we yeah. even in like Earth right now? You know? <laughs> yeah, it's like. It felt very weird. All these like trends and fashion or whatever, like all hanging out at the same time. Probably means something. What I think is like most distinct about this film, but all the stuff we're talking about today is like, this is the hardest one to recommend. Because like. <laughs> The first half that is like a very twee, absurdist comedy, I was so on board for and found it so fun. Mm -hmm. And like every small moment where like the smallest like facial expression from a character had me laughing. Mm -hmm. And then the movie becomes very lopsided because after the occultist ritual that like sort of brings that whole cycle to a close... Then it's just people who are just hanging around. Yeah. They're so sad and right. listless. Oh, it's such a bummer. <laughs> and it, the tone shifts so hard and nothing happens after the ritual. Mm-hmm. And that's the point. The point is like, if you miss the boat, yeah, you, miss the you boat. are you waiting miss it, for yeah, nothing. And right. you're a goner. And I was watching this with um, a couple people and, you know, the mood was very light for the early part. It was like, <laughs> oh, we're all having fun watching this like absurdist comedy. Yeah. I have no idea what's coming. And then nothing comes. And then <laughs> yeah. nothing. This is the God, point. That, that scene where they're just hanging out at the party. Oh, and my God. So it's so painful. God, a bunch of losers, man. Yeah, that like, whole like beginning scene. Just I'm like, this is like just an indie music video. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, that's how I could best describe like that whole Twee music in specific. Like, uh, Beat Happening and Shonen Knife and Cub and like... I don't know. I don't know who those are. Oh, never mind. (laughs) It sounds like it. (laughs) The soundtrack kind of matched that vibe. But then you're right. Like it just takes this like bizarre turn. I'm like, what happened to like the indie music video with the fun girls with white dresses in the woods? Yeah. It's like, you know, (laughs) the awkward kids that grow up to be like adults. But is it weird that I resonated with that part of the movie more than? No, I I did too. I resonated with both. Not weird. Yeah. But it makes it hard to recommend because like if someone likes the first half you are not going to be sure if they're going to be on board for the second right. half. And I, I appreciate the movie everybody. takes that risk. But yeah, it's a hard <laughs> movie to pigeonhole because it does two separate things. Right. Yeah. And it's almost like you can laugh at being the awkward kid you once were, but you can't really laugh at being the like listless right. loser of an adult that you are. 
Like, that's too much. <laughs> like, you, oh, you can't really no. confront that. And you can't recommend something to someone whose favorite thing is freaks and geeks versus someone whose favorite thing is the lobster. Like, right. which, <laughs> which mode right. do you recommend this to, you know? You have right. to be on board for both yeah. in the same, at the same time. Yeah. yeah. It's, oh, man. A, it's a I, weird movie. I do love both of those things, yeah. though. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was on board with them, for sure. <laughs> well, we do have one more movie to talk about today. Yeah, we're going to end on a high note. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Emotionally, no. But <laughs> So the, the film that I picked is the movie Baby Teeth. And the reason I picked it is because I remember just seeing the poster everywhere whenever I was like looking for movies in 2020, because I like to make a list. And I just thought it looked cool. I'm like, oh, you know, a funky little girl with like, per- no, blue hair, not mm-hmm. purple hair, blue hair. There was a lot of rave reviews about it, but I didn't really know what it was. And then I found out that it's yet another dying teen movie. Mm-hmm. Can we list some titles in this genre? Yeah. Of dying teens. False yeah, there's in our like, stars. Um, stars. Fa- a Walk to Remember. Yeah, that was like the... Those original the two for me. I thought yeah. There's Love Story from yeah. the uh, 70s. You're right. Not quite dying, but I would put Ice Castles in the same category. Oh, yeah. I mean, she... Which we've done kinda, on the show before. Yeah. She's yeah. just blinded. There's like a teen illness, like yeah, romance, right. weepy kind of genre we're talking about here. Right. And I typically don't like those movies. Of course, I loved Ice Castles. But <laughs> like, <laughs> like specifically like cancer teen movies, just mm-hmm. never... Never liked it. In high school, like, anytime we had a movie day, they would always put on a fucking Walk to Remember, mm. and I hated that movie. And there's a song that's inside. Yes. We're, oh, yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Does she di- I've never seen it. Does she die at the end of... She totally dies. She totally dies. They have to, right? Dies. Isn't that sort of written into or the rules? Or there's of- the uh, twist where, like, the one you don't expect to die right. dies instead. Shit. Right. That's oh, usually or, the, like, so the, the love pull. interest dies, not the, the cancer. cancer. Yeah. yeah. Riddled- oh, my God. And there was another one about a girl who is, like, terminally ill, but her actually her mother has, like... Munchausen by proxy, oh. so she's not actually terminally ill. Oh. So fake, I'm also, oh. fake dying. Yeah, movies. I'm also familiar with the uh, Fault in Our Stars like knockoff movies where there's one where the two <laughs> teens have cystic fibrosis <laughs> and they can't be around each other. So that one's called The Fault in Our Lungs. And there's also <laughs> the uh, it's not that's not what it's called, but oh, like okay. that's what it's colloquially known as. <laughs> and there's also oh the one where like one of them's on Mars and he can't be around like people on Earth. And that was yeah. called The Fault in Our Mars. Yeah. Uh, there's like a, uh, oh my God. there's a whole subgenre of like uh, post John oh Green like oh Teen God. Weepies. Like oh, this. I think Five Teen Feet weepies. Apart is another one. That's Which one? Five Feet Apart. There's Wait, some. That's the Fault oh, in Our, never our, mind. our Lungs. lungs. The lungs. <laughs> I thought there was some movie with Richard Gere and. Winona Ryder, were she had cancer, probably, right? but they Haven't weren't teens, it. right? No, they weren't teens. This is, yeah, this they is were teens. There's ter- a lot of dying adult people, movies. For terminal, sure. terminal teens. Ter- <laughs> Those terminal teens. Terminal teen romances. Well, I will yeah. say this movie is probably the best one I've seen of oh, that yeah. genre. Absolutely. Which is interesting because, like I said, I fucking hate terminal yeah. teen, cancer teen, dying hate teen em. movies. But they, but people. <laughs> People love wow. them and they eat that shit up where I, I, it blows my mind. Like the John Green fault in our stars thing. And I'm like, why are people obsessing mm-hmm. over this? Like the tragedy, tragic teen movie. And what this movie before I, I kind of go over the plot, why I think I really liked it. And probably why, like I know that everyone probably liked it. It's that it doesn't, you don't find out she really has cancer until you're like 20 minutes in. And it's it feels more real, whereas those other you know terminal teen movies, 
it's like it starts off where like someone's narrating it because most of them are like based off of books and it's like well i got cancer or whenever they like meet they're like the person they fall in love with they're like don't fall in love with me because i'm gonna die soon and it's the just, cigarette is a metaphor <laughs> right uh, like it's either over dramatic or it's narrated in a real way and in this movie it just she's just kind of like well you he just kind of finds out she's terminally ill and they don't like make this, the, the teens don't make this like weird, um, like Hollywood thing out of it. I was actually shocked to learn this was not a novel because it is broken up into chapters in yeah. title yeah. cards on the mm-hmm. screen. And it's based off a stage play instead, which I think is a pretty big hint as to why it works better than most of those novel adaptations. Probably so. Cause the I dialogue yeah. is very like sharply observed. That's and, a yeah. very good point. Yeah. Mm hmm. So our terminal teen, her name is Mila, and in the beginning of the film, she meets this mullet, scratchy face, rat tail boy, rat tail, yeah, rat tail, rat tail boy that just seems to be living on the edge, and she just is like head over heels for him, and it turns out that she does have cancer, and. Her parents, I think her parents were like my favorite characters in this movie. Mm-hmm. They are kind of dealing with the terms that their daughter is terminally ill and they fucking hate Moses <laughs> for good reason. He is like the biggest piece of shit. He is horrible to her. He has like no respect for her. Hey, he keeps coming over to see her to probably get her pills. No, to steal pills from her house right. <laughs> and to have a house to chill at. Cause I she actually has a pool. would push back on that a little bit. Oh. I think it's a little more complicated. Like he is a drug addict. Like he desperately needs pills to like maintain and a source of income. Yeah. Cause he has True. been, he's been kicked out of his own home. Right. And he's dealing too. Yeah. But like, I, th- I think it's, very complex where like the parents know he's bad news, but, but he, he makes does, her happy. He makes her happy. So they deal with he it. He does sort of care about her. Like we realize by the end, like he does really to care. To an extent, yeah. But he's an addict. And like the film does a good job of showing like the mom's an addict. The dad's right. an, addict. Yeah. an addict. Like they're all addicts. Yeah. In their different ways. And like everyone is flawed in this picture. Another thing is like, all 16-year-olds want to fuck up at all times. They want to do <laughs> bad things. And it's our job as adults to tell them no. But, like, if a 16-year-old is about to die, right. like, what's the point of telling them no? Right. Like, of course, this 23-year-old drug addict is bad for you. But yeah. if you're on limited time, like, and you're in love with him, go Enjoy life. It. Enjoy life. And that's, like, yeah. what resonated with me is, like... The, it's hard decisions for yeah. a parent to make. And I liked how like there was that moment where they're like, we're horrible parents. Like they <laughs> right. knew yeah. they, yeah, were, they were like, the worst such a bad idea. When they're watching them erotically wrestle on the lawn. Right. That's yeah. They, and oh, they're all they're like, you think they're and having the sex right now? And the restraint that it took for them like not to just be like, oh, stop it. Um, must have been like insane. But yeah, like I, like he obviously had his own struggles and I think like, that's what the the movie doesn't demonize him. No. no. Yeah. Which is interesting. Like you think it would kind of mold him into being like the bad guy. It just like, oh God, those scenes where like he just kind of like had this disregard for her. You're like, she's dying. So he brings her to a club where he like makes out with another girl in front of her. That was shitty. And yeah. then like also like leaves her on a fucking mattress on a rooftop while yeah. she's fucking dying and obviously needs medicine. Like, 
he doesn't give a shit about her, but I think it's because he doesn't know how to give a shit about anybody because he yeah, doesn't like right. give a shit He's about himself. Just, like, totally freaked out about having to care for somebody and what that even means. Right. Yeah. So, but I thought it was, I don't know. I just thought it was like a, a sweet, genuine movie just because like something that's so bad for her, she was just allowed to like indulge in it. Yeah. I, I mean, I think like what I loved about it was just, I love movies about flawed characters mm-hmm. where you still feel empathy yeah. for them. These are like people that have their faults and we still lo- care about them and like understand where they're coming yeah. from. And I really liked that he kind of maintained his flaws throughout yeah. pretty much the entire movie because like especially in A Walk to Remember, it's like the guy is this like asshole, like this cool asshole and then he meets this like wonderful pure Christian girl the church who's dying. Girl. <laughs> yeah, and then it like totally transforms him into a good person and then she dies and he's like I mean she, she is like the impetus for his character development and it's kind of the same in this movie but he's still like when he moves into their house her dad is giving him drugs so that he'll like stay there yeah. you so know there's like an economic impetus for him being there right yeah so it's not like he like meets her and he's like oh i'm giving up drugs and i'm you know right. i'm turning my life around there's also like a very heavy-handed yeah. uh, a walk to remember version of this movie where like they go to prom together and we don't get there. <laughs> like, right. Totally. This movie's yeah, much sadder, totally. more fucked up oh, and yeah. messy than that. Yeah. Where like they would have those same problems, but then there would be a prom moment where they like have this romantic connection mm-hmm. and then the movie ends after that where she like, you know, she has to die eventually. Right. But like we Ugh. would get that payoff first and instead yeah. this movie like withholds that and the moment where she does die, it's not emotionally satisfying in any way. It's like right. he still is displaying his shortcomings in these very obvious yeah, ways. Totally. Yeah. And like he doesn't give the parents what they need and like out of the exchange. Didn't have like this big like, you know, yeah, final, final breath thing. Yeah. yeah. He just died in her sleep. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. Ugh. And I think that's what this movie's charm is. I don't know that I liked it as much as y'all did. I, I feel this enthusiasm in this room. <laughs> and I liked it. I think it's a good movie. And what I appreciated about it is that from from a distance, it feels very cliche. And I feel like I've seen this story told before. But what I love about it is how the closer you get to it and the more like up close the details and the individual scenes are, it's very messy. The characters are very human and they fuck up all the time. Right. And like everyone is like really not living up to the cliche you expect out of the story. And like, very fallible. I don't, yeah. I don't know how else I mean, to put that. And it, it shows in the filmmaking as well. Like the camera style is very handheld and in their mm-hmm. face and like really zooms in on people fucking up. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah uh, I mean, look at what you're doing. I, yeah. I love that the main character who has cancer is like not a perfect person. Like she's shitty too in her own way. Like she's not a perfect anything. Yeah. Like she fucks up. Yeah. She kind of treats people shit shittily and then like you said with the camera thing i agree like there were some really great shots where it's almost static but then it sort of moves and it takes you into like the real world like you feel like you're actually watching this play out in front of you and it's so naturalistic Mm -hmm. and it it just adds to Mm -hmm. just the realness of what's happening. Before we move on from the camera work too, like she also does those flea bag moments where she looks at us directly. 
And mm. I didn't know what to make of that because it doesn't happen very often. It's like only a couple moments where like he is obviously charming in this like very chaotic way. Mm-hmm. And there's no real way to put that on the screen. Like objectively his behavior is bad. But, like, yeah. every now and then she looks at us and is like, isn't that kind of cute? <laughs> like, isn't this bad boy, like, kind of attractive? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, I think that that Fleabag thing is, like, hard to pull off. Mm-hmm. Especially post-Fleabag. Like, we've seen right. that done so well recently. And in a movie with this, like, you know, content. Yeah. I think, I think and he, it, had a it very, works. he had a very tough role, I feel like. Yeah. Like, because, like Brittany said, he is a total asshole. And he, like, steals and he lies treats people like shit and yet when you see him talking interacting with people you kind of get it like he had you get, to be the hardest person to cast yeah, yeah you get why he would attract people to right. him like any great kind of remind me of like a great con man or and I, like he's mm-hmm. got that energy and i do feel like he gives like the performance of a shit bag and also of like a gen- i mean he has genuine compassion too like that moment when after she dies and the mother is like screaming and crying and so angry at him saying, you know, like you got the last moments with her. I didn't get Mm -hmm. to say goodbye. And she's just like pounding on him and he just like kind of grabs her and holds her and Mm -hmm. they like collapse on the floor to get like that felt like such a real moment of compassion. So it's like he was totally able to be this like, charming kind of like effervescent person and then obviously like kind of neglecting her and then also like a heartfelt he was a very complex character and he did Mm -hmm. it super well has anybody in this room watched the british television show skins before no (laughs) yeah a long time ago and i i just remember like what's his face the the guy that kind of made it really big from there oh um nicholas holt Holt. yeah he is in the first cycle which is the first two seasons yeah um the second cycle was the one i just finished um we're gonna talk about the trash tv we've been watching a lot lately it's only been like um the (laughs) nanny and like fashion competition shows and skins i've been watching a lot of that the second cycle there's this character cook who is the same kind of character he's like a hedonist Mm-hmm. Um, nothing really matters. I'm just going to take drugs until I die. Kind of character who's more intelligent than people give credit for. And I thought of him a lot watching this, mm-hmm. where it's like, how do you make that so charming? And mm-hmm. it is all in the casting. Like this actor, yeah. I wish I'd written his name down, but like, yeah. You know, Eliza Scanlon plays Toby the. Toby Wallace. Toby Wallace, okay. Eliza Scanlon plays the like main um, yeah, protagonist Nella. character, and she is. Very good. I saw her in Sharp Objects this year. Yeah. Um, we talked about that when we did our Gillian Flynn episode. She's really great, but I feel like there are probably other people who could have done that character as well as her. Mm-hmm. There is something more chaotic and human and like just unexpected about that performance from him. Yeah. You know, speaking of performances, too, I do want to quickly touch on the father mm-hmm. oh, character. Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah. We're like... I don't the moments that actually really got to me emotionally, like with this the dad character where he's you know, he has his own flaws, but like he is pretty solid in comparison to the mom who's sort of falling apart. Mm-hmm. He kinda Partly has to be his the, fault. Yeah. Yeah. He's like drugging. But he her kinda up. has to be the rock. The Babadook lady. Oh, that was her. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Oh, that yeah. Was her, yeah. <laughs> wow. But there there were like a few like very quiet tender 
scenes with him where like mm-hmm. he's holding it together, but you see him sort of break just a little bit. Like you see it in his eyes, his mm-hmm. like mouth trembles, little touches that like that connected with me. Yeah. Like I yeah. was like, holy shit. Like I feel he's trying to hold it together, but he can't. He's breaking. He was my favorite character. Yeah, in this yeah. Movie, for sure. Yeah, you know, like just again, like a flawed character. Like he, you know, he's cheating on his wife with a pregnant woman oh across. The he tries to. He yeah, tries unsuccessfully. Uh, yeah, <laughs> after he gets electrocuted. But like those, like quiet little moments, like really resonated with me. Like, yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I feel like that's very hard to pull off as an actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's. One moment at the very end, he's taking pictures of her like throughout the movie, and then she, he wants to take another picture of her, and she's like, "Dad, I'm tired." And then she asks to take a picture of him, and he's kind of like getting himself ready. And then she says, "Like you're gonna look after Moses, right?" And he has this like moment. His eyes well up, and his mouth starts trembling, and he's like, "Okay, just give me a minute." And you can just it's it was like. I felt like I was watching somebody go through that moment. It was so real. It mm-hmm. was such an like incredible, like five seconds of acting. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It was just and, and I he's just the most crying. recognizable actor among this yeah. crew, right? Yeah. Like, I, I've mm-hmm. seen these people in like several things, minus Moses, who feels like a new intrusion. Yeah, but like he's been around, and you could feel that like professionalism in him. Like, yeah, totally. Yeah. Real quick, back on Moses. This is something I kind of thought about, like more towards the end of the movie. Um, is that was kind of Mila almost using him? I mean, I think she obviously was like head over heels, like teenage love for him, but almost kind of using him as a distraction from her illness too, because like his chaos was so like intense that I think it probably helped her like not just sit down all day and be like, mm-hmm. "Fuck, I have yeah cancer." Totally. Like, well, oh, he's doing wild it, stuff, whatever. It felt it's, like... It kind of alleviated some of that... It's like a reverse... Stress from her. Or it's like a manic pixie dream girl, but in reverse. Like, that's sort of what I was thinking, like, what he is to her. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. oh, this crazy fun guy that's going to, like, bring me out of my shell. Yeah, and like, let me enjoy life. Mm-hmm. And I can go to a party and he'll yeah. be there. And-, and she could find that elsewhere, like... There's a part where he abandons her at the party and this like asexual alien bald character oh comes and like so strokes cool. her face in yeah. the middle of this like art projection. Where you're like, art is this even thing. real? Like yeah. it almost felt like a dream. She could find that thrill elsewhere, but it's one of those things where like one of my favorite subjects in any type of cinema is like singular erotic obsession. Mm-hmm. She just sees this like fearless hedonistic figure and fixates on him. Yeah. It's like whether or not he will be the death of me, which he almost is a few times in the film. Like that is what I am obsessed with until I'm dead. And I think also like knowing that he also depends on her for like shelter and drugs and all this other shit. Like it's almost like she doesn't have to try too hard to go out there and like find someone just as entertaining. It's kind of like, not that he's like trapped in a way, but it's kind of like a, you have, I have something you need. Mm-hmm. You have something I need. There's a lot of economic like power dynamics yeah. there where like he has nothing else going on. They're paying yeah. him to be Which there. Which is totally right. the like addiction thing again. Yeah. They're again, they're all addicts and they're all sort of giving each other what they need to survive. Mm-hmm. 
And that's where the movie gets me. Like I, from a distance, looking at its broad like strokes details, like it feels very generic. Mm-hmm. But like the more you get into the specific character dynamics and the the like dialogue exchanges, it becomes like messy and like dark and like just very recognizably human in like a stage play kind yeah. of way. I I get that it came from that kind of adaptation, not a novel. <laughs> like, yeah. like the dialogue is very cutting and like. I don't know, very just messy and that's complicated. What, that's why it makes for like a that's very life, like relatable, humanizing, like terminal teen movie. Yeah. yeah. So I think like if anyone like like me that just never liked that genre, like really enjoyed this as that type of movie, like this is totally like up that individual's alley. Yeah. And I I mean, like teen terminal illness is like in the real world absolutely heartbreaking. Right. And it's just, like, so weird that so many, like, depictions of that in film have felt so cloying. Like, Mm -hmm. it's like, I feel like this is a movie that actually gets at the heart of the real experience. And I feel like it's so good that that exists. Like, that deserves to be a piece of art in the world as opposed to, like, the the cancerous martyr, basically. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Just to wrap it all up, <laughs> collectively, it seems like we all enjoyed The Empty Man, which is like yeah. our main like topic today. Yeah. Individually, I'm going to go around, start with Hana, clockwise, or counterclockwise, sorry. Uh, oh, wait, now <laughs> yeah. I'm confused. Wait. Is it? So it'd be... Yeah, counterclockwise. Okay. okay, thanks for the hand motions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're illustrating for, for our listeners. We're what is your like person. number one recommendation from this crop oh, of movies? Oh, man. I would say my number one recommendation would be... Baby Teeth, I think. That was my favorite film out of this. But I, but I liked all of the movies. So I would watch all of them. Pinocchio. Pinocchio. <laughs> Pinocchio. But same like like Hannah. I liked all the movies, but like Pinocchio just like blew me away. And I'm definitely going to be getting a special edition of that on DVD. Oh, God. <laughs> I agree. Pinocchio is my babo. Oh, God. I wonder. <laughs> okay, can you imagine watching it with a commentary? I would say... Baby teeth and empty man are right up neck and neck. There, neck yeah. and neck. Him on Rye theoretically is up there. They're all good. I'm not saying none yeah. of them are great. I'm just, I'm trying to reductively right. uh, boil this Reduce whole two-hour conversation. Yeah. I mean, I would say, yeah, empty man and baby teeth and Pinocchio. Very dark, interesting. Get me off this fucking ride. It's a nightmare <laughs> is how I felt. Okay. But. I didn't want to leave. <laughs> well, Empty Man is the one you cannot access for free right now, right? Maybe maybe mm-hmm. Ham on Rye is off of... Um, it's off of... It, it, it wasn't It free was free it. temporarily, yeah. but... Empty Man and Ham on Rye, you have to rent. Yeah, you can rent Ham on Rye for two dollars. And it's em- very cheap. Empty yeah. Man should probably be like available soon. And you said soon on uh, HBO on HBO. Max. It looked like because yeah. like it shows you like when's the next time it's supposed to be like on HBO, and it showed like dates later in July. So okay, Baby Teeth currently on Hulu. Hulu. Yeah, yeah. Pinocchio is currently on Amazon Prime. When you play it, it will play an awful English dub that you have to turn off yourself. You have to like switch to the Italian language with the English subtitles. Uh, Roberto Benigni, like at least seventy percent less funny than this like <laughs> so, fake dub. So wait, you don't hear Baba? What does he say in the? I didn't English? make it that far. Did he just say like Daddy? That's Dad. Or Papa? Like Papa. Papa. Yeah. Yeah. Papa. Papa. Italian Papa. Papa. I watched uh, Pinocchio a few months ago on, I believe Hoopla. 
So I didn't have the option to change the language. Wow. So I was shocked when I played it recently. I was like, oh God, no, this is awful. What did it make people watch? Uh, and I realized you could switch the language back to Italian. The so. one that I picked, it immediately played in Italian. Yeah, same okay. for us, I think. I, I must have fucked up in some cosmic way <laughs> that y'all avoided. No, it's okay. I think there were multiple <laughs> options. Yeah. Right. Oh, and I picked Bob the Bo. one that was an English dub. Do watch not it. watch the yeah. English dub of Pinocchio. Yeah. Watch the Italian. Italian. Now I kind of want to. It's probably fucking the Italian weird. Italian is so charming. Hey, Bob. Yeah. Hey, Bob. Yeah, I agree. It's a perfect film with no faults. Thank you, James. <laughs> and also, if you can't... And, and you if try, you, you <laughs> try to have the last word that Pinocchio is the best movie of last year. But like, even if you can't figure out like the subtitles on the Italian one, like you get the gist of it. Like it's it's so expressive that you don't really need. You cannot titles. cover up the horrific practical makeup right. effects of that film with any kind of dub. Uh, it's just the humor. Might Honestly, I feel like all four of these movies are really good and worth the watch. Worth mm-hmm. a watch. Yeah. We'll haunt your dreams <laughs> <laughs> individually in different yeah. ways. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're all oh, dark. Yeah, oh, they man. are. That's true. I didn't even think about God, that. God, we're so sick. Yeah, we're a sick bunch. Dark <laughs> films for a dark year, honestly. Yeah, yes. yeah, that's true. And if you have not heard of your favorite film from 2020 mentioned on the show yeah. at this point, email us Tell at swampflicks at gmail If you email me to watch a very specific version of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. We will maybe discuss that film, but I've only got a very generalized recommendation at this point, and it's from someone who I'm not convinced is real. <laughs> Much like The Empty Man. Right. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, The Empty Woman. The Empty Woman has been emailing me, and she will not stop. <laughs> and we will be back next week to talk about the sequels to the Canadian horror film Cube. Boomer made me and Allie watch uh, Cube squared hypercube and then cube zero which is not called cube cubed um and you'll have to tune in to find out why uh next week (laughs) and uh check us out on swapflix.com in the meantime goodbye everybody bye